0: I don't have many that are going to work well. That won't work if you just cropped it differently. Yeah, I didn't crop you gotta, it. Either. You got to prepare for the circle. I usually just drop. See, but I just dropped. That's the exercise.
1: Crop, drop, and roll. That's what mm-hmm. they say. That's what they used to say. Do they still say that? I don't I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think the kids can still catch on fire? Is that still a thing? I don't know if that's still a thing.
0: I, you know, it's strange that it's this kind of keys into our, like, uh, talking about uh, smoking and health class and all that stuff, but it's it's weird. I guess there I, I don't mean I'm not making light of this, but there must have been a lot more kids that died in a fire because they had loose fitting inflammable pajamas than I realized. Cause did you get that talk? You did you get the talk when you had a kid about how you gotta have like obviously you want them to they don't they don't want to be made out of like, you know, white <laughs> sulfur or something. <laughs> but they have to be tight. Remember like your jammies are supposed to fit tight. Yeah, yeah. Is that was that really that big of a problem? I'm, I'm not being glib. It's an actual question.
1: I don't know. It's just one of those things like better safe than sorry. Like yeah. I, I, I'm, I, and the stop, drop, and roll like that's useful advice because it's the type of thing that instinctively you're gonna you're gonna wave your arms around and that's bad. And so I think uh, that's something that should have a catchy slogan that's drilled into kids' heads just because it might come in handy later and it doesn't really cost much to do it i think it's a brilliant fire hack and i'll tell you why because i
0: think um there's a famous quote that's been attributed to uh then general eisenhower uh who used to say that the plan is nothing but planning is everything and i i think that makes a lot of sense like if just put it this way if you are in a situation where you're very likely to panic where the very natural reaction is to panic it's nice to have some kind of a plan that you've rehearsed do you know what i mean
1: yep exactly uh, just like you know, don't throw a fire water on a grease fire. Like simple things th- that are counters to obvious things that people are going to do unless they know otherwise.
0: Because you know, if if one has not panicked recently, you don't know that feeling. I mean, and it's it's just an all encompassing feeling. Our next door uh, neighbor think might be an Airbnb, not sure, but uh, he's, he's the, there's a fire truck in front of our house uh, two nights ago, two two afternoons ago. And I gather up the family like, oh, my God, check it out. There's a fire truck. What's going on? And there's this very distraught looking man out front. And uh, he didn't know that most of the houses in our neighborhood lock automatically when you walk outside. And so this poor man, like young dad, like 30-year-old dad is standing there and <laughs> his 19-month-old son is looking out the window from the third floor. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you poor. I was like, you know, this is going to be fine. You know, this will be fine. And to console him, I was like, you know, just for what it's worth, a few years ago when my daughter was still a newborn, I got a mood log from Walgreens, lit it up in the fireplace, and the creosote shot straight up the chimney. <laughs> you, ever, you, ever, you ever had chimney fire, John? <laughs>
1: I'm still stuck on mood log.
0: You know those things like a Duraflame?
1: Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know people bought those.
0: <laughs> They're basically just oily rags with branding. <laughs> <laughs> So I thought, oh, this is nice, we'll have a nice little cozy night at home with our with our newborn. And I but I, the thing was, I might have done two of them. I wanted to have a super cozy fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I heard this sound <laughs> 220, 221, whatever. <laughs> whatever it takes. takes. And then I heard this sound. <laughs> <laughs> and did you take the wrapper off before you let it off? No, fire? you don't. That's part of the lighting mechanism. No, I don't know. Yeah. That's <laughs> I <it. laughs> yeah, gotta find a way to really make the oily rags catch on. Yeah. And then I heard this. I heard And a great flash illuminated the room. And there was clearly a roaring fire in the (laughs) chimney. So, and the thing is, we had made fires in this fireplace for a very long time. I had just made too much fire for our little fireplace. And it went poof. And I tore ass outside. Initially, smoke is pouring out of the chimney. Then sparks are going up into the air flaming birds and squirrels and then <laughs> dead rats and then flames are starting and i flipped and i called nine one one for the first time in my life and that was panic that was absolute panic i just well, did, you, did your whole family
1: outside at this point or did you
0: abandon them to look at i the went smoke? outside i went outside i think that the yeah i think basically she just i might have just run out at first to make sure that i wasn't freaking out and i was freaking out and i should have been freaking out we got out of the house our neighbors were out of town. I grabbed the extra keys, ran upstairs to see if it had lit up their fireplace, and sh- you know, because of course you imagine you, you're neurotic, right? So you're imagining if this shot up, it might have also shot up and out and like mm-hmm. into their house. I'm thinking, great, we've set like our night of coziness has destroyed our neighbor's home. Mm-hmm. And so I related that story to this man, and it didn't comfort him. He still had a 19 month <laughs> <Yeah>. old son. <laughs> did, <laughs> I think,
1: I tell you, did we talk about the story when the same thing happened to my son? Well, similar. Did he no. got stuck in the bathroom? Do you remember oh, that? No. Tell me again similar similar age probably like he could stand and walk and kind of talk a little bit and he was in our our bathroom and our bathroom has like the the little vanity where the the uh the sink is has drawers that come out of it so he had closed the door and then pulled the drawers out of the vanity so that they were blocking the door so you couldn't open it again because the door opens into the bathroom
0: oh no that's bad design yeah,
1: yeah it's a small bathroom it's not much room for stuff but yeah so he's in there and the drawers are open and we can't get the door open because they're they're like right next to the door so we can't even get it open like a crack to get like a coat hanger through or something to like try to push the doors uh back um i wasn't actually home when this happened i don't remember where i was maybe i was on my way home from work or maybe my wife called me and i remember he's so bad but anyway she couldn't get him out of the room he's in there he's by himself he's Okay, like nothing is going wrong in there as far as What what
0: advice could you give him, like to jiggle the drawer? I mean, what are you going to say? He just
1: needed to close the drawer. That's what he needed to do. But he was not yet at the age where he really understood what we were saying. And, you know, she's trying to convince him to close the door and it's not actually working. And she's getting increasingly agitated. And then he's getting upset and he's crying. And then, you know, I come home to that. It's like, well, what do we do? You can't really take the door off the hinges because the hinges are on the other side too. Right. right? Because it opens in. Yeah, solid wood door. Um, and, you know, it's not, there's no There's no easy way out of There's no screws to unscrew the doorknob because uh, the screws are on the other side. And so we were at the same place, like, call the fire department. He's like, well, first of all, what is the fire department going to do? They're going to just do what we don't want to do, which is break our house, right? You know, they're going <laughs> to take an axe to the door or something else equally dangerous. Maybe they have a sawzall or like the jaws of life or whatever. Here's Johnny. <laughs> right that's exactly where we were at though because what other options do you really have and then right. calling the fire department like it's weird that the fire department says catch-all for like cats and trees and uh, you know
0: and, and heart attacks and doors that won't open
1: right like they will just you know if you need something uh broken or someone pried out of something or you know whatever yeah but that's that's what i came home to i think she oh. must have called me at work or something like that i don't know if she was here right now she'd tell me exactly what happened because her memory of this is much better but anyway before calling the fire department, before calling nine one one, because again, what do you say, at nine one one? My son is trapped in the bathroom. You know, is he hurt? Is he okay? He's right. fine. He's crying. I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, I just get one more shot to tell him to close the drawers. But I just used an alternate, alternate phrasing and alternate re- approach, and I tend to be on the same wavelength with my son. And guess what? He closed the drawers when we opened the door. Nice. Yeah. Did he? Did he? Did he super freak out once he was out? He's all right. I, I told
0: him to push the white box. Mm hmm. But oh, that's good.
1: That's good uh, That's good uh, user experience. The, drawer, the drawers are white. So, you know, close the drawer, was not doing anything or any other thing, push the white box. It looked so white box, he pushed it Pushed in the only direction it could possibly push, close the drawer, open the door. Well done. He doesn't remember this, but we, but we both remember it. It's just, it's almost a kind of like, what well, not cognitive
0: behavioral therapy, but it's something where like, you know, there's, you, you, there's the, the mind that is going to take over at the point when you start to panic a little bit, is not a mind we're that familiar with. It, you become like a really pure, like you, you think very purely, but not always very well. And you're like must must make bad stop, make bad stop. And and when you're in make bad stop mode, you know sometimes the best thing is to just get the hell away. So having you know again like the stop drop and roll, it's, just, it's so helpful to have something that you can use as an exercise. But uh, do they do uh, lockdown drills at your kid's school? Hmm that is uh that's a very sad thing they the the teachers your teachers have to tell your tell the kids like there could be a bad person here and don't cry because they will hear you and come in the room (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: I i mean if you think about it though it is probably less absurd than what my parents did and your parents probably did too which is hide under the desk so the nukes don't get you
0: but okay, but that's another example. That's an institutional stop, drop, and roll where it's like, we want you to rehearse this often enough that you will be manageable at a time when. Uh, I'm when ma- it doesn't really matter if it you're manageable. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But. Like, why
1: not let everyone panic in the. Uh, it depends on where you live. Like, we're close enough to New York City that it's like, really? I don't think this, you know, like. Are you really concerned about the uh, the management of the citizenry in the last two hours before we all uh, evaporate?
0: Yeah, but, I mean, on the, I mean, on the other hand, it's I think part of what made that era so horrible for all of us is that we'd seen what happened in Japan. We'd seen what happened on the Bikini Islands or whatever. We knew what this could do. We knew that, like, if you were near the epicenter of a blast, which almost everybody, believe me, I read a lot about this when mm-hmm. I was a very nervous yep. teenager – uh yeah, Harvard put out a whole book about like what to really expect from a nuclear war that I read cover to cover as a kid. Um but but you know, here's the thing: is like, oh, so, so you know, yeah, you would think if this goes down the way we think it'll go down with a Doctor Strangelove type situation, it's going to be pretty lit up everywhere that matters. You know, no offense, Missouri, but like, if, if stuff really goes, <laughs> sorry, no, fly then, over there America, might be, there might be launch sites. There's probably there. bases That's the thing
1: there, about Wyoming and stuff. You think it's safe, but it's you not. You know what? I take it back. Sides. You
0: guys are probably going to die too. I apologize. No. That was that was unkind and ignorant of me. But uh, but no, but there's just two, two aspects to that. One aspect to that uh, is that, and I don't want to get too dark here, but like, there's lots of situations in life. I'm thinking here, the last episode of Mash uh but there's lots of episodes there's lots of things in life where like uh we this could go a couple different ways but there's precautions we can take to not screw ourselves up you know what the worst thing would be if you had like a war of the worlds type situation uh in in the extreme case where the thing that was supposed to happen didn't happen but we actually did ourselves in with acting crazy like flying down the highway going down the uh the jericho boulevard hitting each other driving really fast Like, that would be
1: bad. Don't panic, right?
0: You get a towel and don't panic. But
1: the kids aren't going to panic. Training the kids to go under the desk. It's like, where else are they going to go? Why not just continue the school day? We had, so we didn't
0: have those when I was a kid. I know, like, from the old, you know, ironic videos on uh, USA night flight. But, uh, so we had tornado drills. What did you have? Did you have, in Long Island,
1: you would have hurricane drills? We didn't have anything, because we did. We had one hurricane that was significant when I was a kid, but it was rare enough that it was not a thing that we drilled. We had fire drills, and that's basically it. Yeah.
0: I think it's a good idea. Yeah, these kids chuck and jive too much. With the rap music and their vaping, uh, they don't know how to dial it down. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Ministry of Supply. You can learn more about them right now by visiting ministryofsupply.com slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. Ugh, I hate to bring this up, but there's no way around it. We are humans, and we sweat, and very rarely does sweating take place at convenient times. I could write a book, but I probably won't. Gym clothes can handle this. They're technicals, technicals. They're made for that. But the clothes that you need to wear to work all day, every day, they do nothing to help the clothes. They do nothing. Also, those clothes, they're, they're they're so gross. They're stiff. They're restricting. They make everything worse. But this, my friends, is where Ministry of Supply comes in. They combine performance technology with tailored design to make men's workwear that's actually comfortable and capable. This means you can find dress shirts and slacks that Wick sweat, breathe, and stretch as you move. For example, they have the wonderful Apollo dress shirt. It has uh, fibers that were actually invented by NASA, it turns out, that regulate your body temperature based on your surroundings. As an added bonus, that's all. That's machine washable. No more trips to the dry cleaners. We're done with that donkey drill. Done, done, done. Now, listen, I have to tell you something. This is some uh, inside baseball stuff. But uh, this podcast we do, we have friends inside the ministry, and they sent us some of their stuff to try out, and I love it. I, uh, I'm wearing one of their sweaters right now. It is the Mercury SVK V-neck. It's amazing. It's light. It's cozy. And I'll tell you the truth. Turns out, I've actually bought two of these. I like them so much, I have two of them. So I can wear them every day, like an animal. Hmm. You got to try these folks out. They're the best. Right now, I want you to go to ministryofsupply.com diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. And you're going to get 15% off your first Ministry of Supply purchase just by using the offer code diffs, D-I-F-F-S. And if you don't have a computer or access to the internet, this is not a problem. You can go to visit one of their their hard copy stores in Boston, San Francisco, and coming soon, Washington, D.C. Yeah, so get this. You amble amble into the store. You say, hi. Hey, hey, hey. I heard about this on a podcast. Just mention Reconcilable Differences. You get 15% off anything in the store. Talk about living in the future, buddy. Woo! Check them out. Ministryofsupply.com slash diffs. The offer code you want to use. You want to try this in the store, too. Tell them diffs. See what they say. Our thanks to Ministry of Supply. For supporting reconcilable differences and all of Relay FM. Well, little bits real quick. Uh, a couple people asked the album by Ted Leo that I mentioned last week that I was uh, force gifting on John because of his midichlorians. It's called The Tyranny of Distance. And I continue to believe that if you would like to get started with Ted Leo, if you're super punk rocky you might want to go with chisel but if you're super poppy go with later pharmacist but his 2001 album just turned 15 this week uh the tyranny of distance by ted leo and the pharmacist and that will be in show notes and i did force gift you a copy of that
1: we start we started playing it from track one on the way to finding dory this weekend (gasps) family was not impressed
0: oh yeah i'm not surprised what did you think we switched
1: after after track one we switched to different music
0: you felt the same way
1: Uh, Just Track one, you can't tell. Track one didn't bother me, but it didn't grab me either.
0: Yeah. um, I think knowing what you like, there's a handful of tracks on there. I know you like to listen in order, but there's a handful of tracks on there that I think you might really like. Not to say Ted Leo sounds like U2, no offense, Ted, but there are some U2-y, like he loves Irish music for one thing. So there's like a a huge Irish folk component and punk rock uh, thing to what he's doing. But uh, anyway, you're under uh, almost no obligation to listen to it. Mm-hmm, but yeah, no, I'll get through it eventually. I'll, I'll pick it some uh, tracks for you if you want. Oh, I thought of the other example. And it's from the movie uh, you might have seen called Finding Dory. Mm-hmm. Like the way that they walk her through. And how cute is little little Dory when she's little little <laughs> cupcake? She's She's ridiculously, like, almost annoyingly cute. But, uh, you know, having, having a drill for, like, what we do in these situations, like, you know, preparing you for, like, how to, to go out there, like, I don't know. I just think those kinds of things are good. That's all. Did you like the movie?
1: Yeah, it was
0: good. Just good, though. It was just good. I'm going to say just good, too. I'm going to say that I liked it a damn Sight more than uh, The Good Dinosaur, big time. And I liked, I liked the zaniness of the ending, even though it was... I mean, obviously, a movie about talking animals is, impla- is like, implausible, but I liked the throw-it-all-at-the-wall ending that I thought was somewhat triumphant in its way. I thought the story was a little shaggy. for Shaggy and, like, not... There's a lot of repetition, you know what I mean? There was so much repetition. We get it. Dory doesn't remember things like we get. There was so much reputi- repetition. And then it just felt like there was a lot of spending way too long on one thing and not that much time on another thing. And then the giant payoff. You're so ready to cry when she meets her parents. And then she does. And uh, The movie felt, continues. Well, yeah. When I feel like even the payoff of that was, it was like when we, when I realized, oh, the shells. That, I started crying because I, I was like, I get that. That's good. That's a nice Pixar thing. But uh, then when it actually happened, you're like, where you go? We've been here waiting for you. And it was like, it was like, yeah. And then there was like almost like a moral to the story. There was like a little like, ooh, that, where did that come from? And then, of course, she leaves. And it was like, hmm, okay.
1: Yeah, I, the, I think the, the more I thought about it, though, I think the core problem with the story, and it's basically intractable, so I don't see how they would have, how they could have avoided it, is what the hell are Marlon and Nemo doing in this movie? Oh, no, they, this, was, this was Han Solo in Return of the Jedi. Like I get why they have to be there uh-huh. for because they're part of the story and, and like and in in the story there the idea is that they have a bond with Dory from the first movie which makes some kind of sense but you never quite believe it and they spend most of the time away from Dory talking to each other over issues that they basically resolved and like what do you do what's the solution to that you can't not have them in the movie you can't call it I mean maybe you could I'd be finding Dory but Nemo's not in it right. Right, and he's got his little fin. He's so cute. Or if, can you put Nemo in it but not Marlin? I don't think you can do that either. And, but and I, if you
0: put them in it, you have to have them doing their bits. Like, Marlin has to be fretful. That's, that's, right, that's his right. essential characteristic. And so characteristic. they spend
1: a lot of time on their B story of tracking her down while our A story of trying to find <sighs> parents is going on. And I think that, like, structure-wise... They, can, they can wise, cover that, a the, lot of ground really fast. A lot yeah. of water. Yeah, well, the turtles, you know. <sighs> I travel at the speed of plot but there were a lot of good gags in this movie yeah, a lot of good gags and, and like you said especially at the end to just you know bring it all together
0: i mean wasn't that wasn't that kind of fun when you get to the point where you're like at this point it's become like a marx brothers movie where you are like oh no cleveland truck no water cleveland truck wrong place what but then when they finally like at the point when the truck was driving away i was all in i was like this is fun this is ridiculous I, i'm all about the squid this is great but you know it was, it, was, it was a long road, but I enjoyed it very much. But Piper, uh,
1: Piper was great, though, I thought. One I thought Piper
0: red. was extremely good in a lot of ways.
1: Because it was like, it was basics. It was like back to basics. This is exactly what an animated short film was like. Not a lot of complicated ideas. Not a lot of weird stuff. Uh, interesting, uh, beautiful new rendering ideas with the seafoam and everything like that. And a simple story, well told, and it's cute, and it comes and it goes. And not, I mean, there's, there's a lot of cute, there's a lot of
0: fun, there's a lot of personality uh, in terms of how it looked. It's funny, like, we were watching Wally again, which is still absolutely one of my favorite Pixar movies in so many ways. But, I, yeah, you know, I gotta say, there's something about the look of Wally that I almost, I don't know if they meant to make that movie how do i put this this sounds dumb because you want to have a we just we talked about this with toy story 2 when we did the incomparable episode of like you know trying to the difficulty of with the technology they have achieving like a similar look from scene to scene lighting to lighting and you know and how that's difficult to do but there's i mean go back and watch Wally. that's a few years old now and it still looks astonishing
1: we just we just watched it recently we just watched it like a week or two ago does it
0: still hold up for you
1: yeah it's one of my favorite openings uh not the entire opening with wally on the planet but just the first 30 seconds of the movie coming into that song going through the debris out and how pay it out <laughs> yeah i thought i, I really like that i wally i still think that the, the the main problem with that movie is the people on the ship like the heart of the story is wally and eve and you need the antagonist thing but the people on the ship is a little bit too like not sour but, like, it's a bit of a It's a, bit it's of a little a bit, as, as
0: John Roderick would say, it's a little bit meh.
1: Yeah. And like you the know, baby, it's a little the, bit
0: like meh, Americans are fat and lazy.
1: Right, and they're, and they're shaped like babies. Like, I mean, yeah. that That is the weaker part of that There's movie. a lot of
0: implausible things about what happens on that ship, for sure. But but it has... But I, I, I love the animation of it. I just love the look of it. And, I, again, this is the kind of thing that makes Dr. Wave yell at you on the internet. But their use of lenses... Like, it, as with Toy Story 3, I really feel like they spent a lot of time thinking about what lenses and lighting were happening. So, like, it wasn't just something as simple as this is a, you know, 50 millimeter lens, so things are going to be a little bit blurry in the background. Like, there was a lot of thought to making it really look like cameras were shooting this, and it looked great, and there was, to me, exactly the right amount of detail, like, in the garbage and all of that stuff. You you got in this, and then the story is just so propulsive for so long. I love the other robots. I love when the robots go to the uh, the spa or the you know to be fixed. I I love that they all have their own like personality quirks.
1: That's the that's the one, and I'm reminded every time I watch it that oh that has live action people in it. And I, I always forget that there they are I, and like and it just it just fits right in and I forget that it's there it's not like it pokes out but I'm like oh yeah this does have live action people mixed <laughs> Fred in with Willard just with, walking around right <laughs> mixed in with the regular baby people which is weird right. uh, but like at the beginning of that movie like how it strikes the balance between realism and sort of stylized uh, with the robots like it just totally makes me want to see a uh, a not hard sci-fi but like basically a sci-fi movie from Pixar like not a superhero sci-fi just like straight up mm-hmm. uh, you know I'm Not going to say not for kids. I would the kind of
0: movie you would one, make in like, the '60s and the '70s that wasn't ironic. Like we're, we want to make a like as good a sci-fi movie as we sp- can. Like
1: a space opera, a, a, a straight up space opera. Like I mean, like a Star Wars style movie because they're so good at robots and ships and space, making them look interesting and uh, the, the designs. I didn't Wally of all the tech stuff is great.
0: Well, and I have to admit that I mean we. W- weren't spectacularly uh, close friends when I was watching this movie a lot, but this last time, I really did think of you because I love, and I I imagine you love this, I I love the stuff with uh, this incredibly high-tech, like, and so, like, you know, my daughter and I were talking about this, like, something must have happened. It's been 500 years. Something must have happened that triggered that ship to drop eve the next day there must have been some kind of a signal that don't you think there must have been some signal that went up that said there's something here now eve has to go
1: find it no they go all the time they see you think the back that was of, just a coincidence they are constantly sending probes there that's why they have a whole system when the well, why hasn't he back. seen one in
0: 500 years why is he, like, he why is he so didn't, into eve it seems like he's never planet. seen her.
1: it didn't land near him
0: you think that was a coincidence
1: Well, I don't know. Like like I said, it's a big planet. You got to check for life in all sorts of spots. If you're going to go all over the planet checking for life, you're going to show up next to Wally for (sighs) 900 years. It could happen. I'll tell you a beef I got. Ever since I read that
0: wonderful Pixar tweetstorm about the Pixar story stuff, which has a lot of great stuff in it, there's this one thing they said in there that I think about so much now, and it's made me raise the bar with everybody, including Pixar. And they said somebody, whoever's writing that long tweetstorm, I'll find it for show notes. They said something like, "It's okay to use a coincidence." Uh, to get the story in motion, but like, I'm paraphrasing, but never use a coincidence to like solve the problem. Do you remember this?
1: So I don't remember this, but, but so I remember that advice.
0: But you can use a coincidence to propel the action. Like there's a lot of wonderful stories that begin with people bumping into each other. Mm-hmm. But then you get into what, what you might call a Deus Ex Machina. You don't want to have a solution to something that was a coincidence that's incredibly unsatisfying to the audience. So that's why I'm asking this. But, but all I'm trying to get at is I love when the, e, when Eva's dropped down and there's all the beep boop of like <laughs> this, this like Rube Goldberg machine that drops her down and it opens up. And don't you kind of love? <laughs> Like they're ready to deploy her, and and it opens up, and then the little like computer finger comes out to punch in a code. Yep,
1: uh, isn't that great? One of my it, favorite things watching it again was the uh, the laser landing thing with the little dot.
0: It starts out just the one in the center, just the one and dot. Then, I
1: was like what the hell is this dot, you right. know? And then the, all the all the other red dots come in from the sides of the enclosing circle.
0: Whoa, <laughs> super fun! I love so much about that movie. I love Mo Mo. And uh, the source of, uh, inexplicably, a line that still comes up in our house twice twice a month, and it's, I have no idea why, except to a centennial cupcake in a cup. For some mm-hmm. reason, that line still kills me every time. Oh, and I love, I love the way the robots will only go on the lines. They do a lot of nice world building in that movie. Yep. Um. So I liked, I liked Finding Dory. It made me feel good. It was, it was good, but uh, I don't know. I, I so they have a plan at this point right which is like there's an original title and there's a sequel or franchise and they alternate right that's kind of the
1: plan right I don't know that's the first time I've heard of that plan
0: I think that's their plan that's like their ongoing rolling
1: plan is well like, like, I don't think the plan is that nailed down considering how many movies have been cancelled and delayed Good Dinosaur was really delayed uh, right right Newt was cancelled and like just and I think Brave was also delayed like that I don't think it's that cut and dry <laughs> not long enough you don't um, like Brave? Come on. I liked. See, here's the test. This is this is this is
0: the problem. Now I'm John Syracuse because the bar has been raised. It's funny. Like I go back and I watch even Monsters Inc. I go watch. And wa- I go back and watch Monsters Inc. I was grown a little bit because I'm like, mm, I remember liking this movie, but mm. but then I watch it and I love it. I love Monsters Inc. is so, it's still so great. Even Bug's Life, not the greatest thing, but there's so much to love in Bug's Life. And I'm not trying to be that guy. I'm not trying to be REM guy which I know I can be. But, I mean, you know, uh, you know, uh, Ratatouille, sure. But, I mean, each of these movies that holds a place in our heart is not simply because we love the characters now and want to see more from them. It's because of the heavy lifting that went into making that thing great in the first place. I know it's hard work, and I know you need to make money for Disney, and I get that. I'm not yelling at you. Don't listen. I'm sorry, Chris. I'm sorry, Terry Lee. I'm sorry, everybody who's listening. I'm just trying to say, like what makes us love that is like oh my god show me the thing that i haven't seen yet show me the thing that like you've been bubbling that you've been working on in the laboratory that helps you tell the story you couldn't tell before there's finally a story you can tell because you can do it the way you always wanted to and you know everybody in technically creatively everybody in pixar is just probably itching to make the thing that they can finally do right now that would blow our minds you did not think
1: like, you did not think brave was that i felt like that was brave Certainly, it wasn't a sequel. It was It was new IP. It was an interesting idea and a story they hadn't done before.
0: I'll tell you as... Oh, so anyway, in terms of what bar got raised, the, 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 here's, the, here's the bar. The bar for me is, you know, there's the one thing of like, how much did I enjoy in the theater with my kid? Definitely huge factor. M- much larger in retrospect is how much did I keep thinking about it afterwards? So, for example, uh, this thing on ESPN about O.J. Simpson... Improbably, out of nowhere, this show that I, I am now obsessed with this show, how would I have guessed two weeks ago that I cannot stop thinking about the first episode of the O.J. Simpson series? It's extremely good. And my wife and I will text each other through the day thinking about this show, right? That's the same kind of feeling I had after like a bunch of Pixar movies. So like, if I go out of a Pixar movie going like, mm, that was really good, like it's, it's tough because they're the ones who helped me raise the bar to that level. And so like, if I don't have that with Brave... I can, I can tell you, buddy, as I sit here today, I think about Tangled a lot more than I think about Brave. <laughs> you
1: don't think about the the mom and Brave throwing the bow into the fire?
0: First time my daughter ever got dust in her eye in a movie was when the mom was a bear, and it was very sad. That was the first time she ever cried in a movie. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's it's not bad. It's not bad at all. I mean, I'm not trying to say that. It's just that now, like... And this sounds so mean, but, like, they have made some of the best movies. Like, they, <laughs> they have, like, redefined the whole standard. Like, I can't even sit through. Like, like my daughter watched Rio 2 this morning before camp, part of it before camp. And it's like, ugh. I mean, the first one's fine. But, like, when you watch anything, like, even a, even an Illumination one or you watch a DreamWorks one, you're like, I, I can't make it through Shrek. I can't do it. It's oh, yeah, just...
1: That, that was always awful. But, like, just I, I, to, to counter your... Uh, your uh...
0: early
1: days thing like we did have inside out you know it's not like as if they're they're uh the good best days are behind them
0: no no i don't
1: think that and and i just want to be super clear i don't know anything about what goes on inside that
0: company except to say that they on the times that i visited there one time to do a talk and other times socially i was uniquely struck by the obsessiveness of the people who work there and I've said this a million times, but I'll keep saying it. Like, I've been to Apple, I've been to Google, I've been to Yahoo, I've been to a lot of places. Apple's a close second, but I've never been anywhere where it was clear that every single person like, would put their life down to make the next movie good. It's, and you know, they close ranks around the story and they're real cool and they nod along with whatever's going on. I just wish they would really let somebody out of the box. Sort of like you said, I guess, you know, like when you talked about the what, what ails the companies and you on Hypercritical. You used to say with Pixar, your thing was they it's not that you want them to fail or to make something bad, but you want them to try something so ambitious that it might be a disaster, but it could really push the whole yeah, field I, forward.
1: I feel like Inside Out was pretty close to that in terms of like conceptually like greenlighting that even with super people, ambitious. Super even ambitious. with the people behind it, that, that movie should have been such a disaster. Because think of like it's just it's not if you make that pitch like, oh, that's not gonna be a good movie. It doesn't make any like it's really hard to do and to strike the right balance and that must have been a hell of a development process, but they made such a great movie out of it. But yeah, I'm thinking, you know, just, I'm always pushing genre wise. Like I can never say don't make kids movies. Like they're not kids movies. They're family movies. Like just, they have a lot of tech and they had a lot of talent. Um, and I feel like you can push the family mover genre. Like star Wars is a family movie, right? But star Wars, I feel like has a harder edge than any Pixar movies that they've made. And I, I think Pixar can easily push into the realm of Star Wars movies. It's a PG movie, the whole family can see it, the whole family right. can enjoy it. Yeah, but yeah. there are no you know cute talking animals or babies. Well, there
0: was there was a lot of shock inhaling when the fish were flying through the air, and the big fish eats the little fish, and the even bigger fish and eats then the it big puked fish. It out, yeah, but of course, it had to puke it out because yeah. you you couldn't kill off you know.
1: I mean, it, some of the things they had a little bit of edge like that, but it's still like uh like. Uh, animaniacs edge still like animated I, you know what i mean like anyway mm-hmm. I, this is just like my own wish of film like what kind of movies would you like to see i don't know if it's right for the company or the people who were there but i do see some of the directors there going out and doing live action movies that are very unlike pixar movies and so if, it, there's obviously a desire to do that type of thing i just feel like you should be able to do it within pixar and in the same way that a lot of the anime the japanese animation uh, animated movies that i like are not not for kids or family did you ever watch millennium actress you did right no, no I watched it. No, anyway, that is a movie I've shown my daughter, but it's not... I wouldn't even call it a family movie. It's a little bit harder, edge. but even something like Princess Mononoke, mm-hmm. not really a family movie for young children. The way is, is pretty sophisticated in, in its way. Yeah, and, and, and a little bit scary for young kids. Absolutely anyway, scary, I, yeah. I, I don't, I don't want to... Nobody puts well, Pixar in a corner. You no,
0: know? no, but like... Okay, so, and this actually, in a weird way, this is inflected with the same thinking that brings me to tonight's topic, which is... So if we look at Pixar as a uh, as a company that started making mostly making software and when they did make movies it was commercials and stuff like that. If we go from thinking the, of them as like the world's greatest like family animated studio you know of the 90s and 2000s. You know, what if we pivot like what if we what if we start over with our idea of what Pixar is? And I it's probably not a great day for them to start doing that, but given so much about the climate in media today but like what if we looked instead at like let's look at all the parts that are all on the table let's look at all the tools that are in the shed and what they could be capable of and i think it's possible to to fantasize and dream about exactly the kind of thing you're describing i rewatched uh 2001 last week i forget why but for some reason oh you know maybe it was you know what what it was i was going to be on the talk show and talk about stuff and then gruber was like i want to talk about how and so i went and i watched 2001 all the way through what a freaking bananas movie that is. I've seen it, I don't know, half a dozen times. I, I forget like how deeply bananas that movie is. Also, how still, how awfully, awfully good it looks. How it takes its time with the pacing. I mean, obviously, I'm not the first person to compliment 2001, but isn't there some part of you that, like, also for myself, I would love to see Pixar do their own moonshot to the extent of, like what what 's their two thousand and one look like? What is their movie where they deploy everything in their power in a way that is not just about whatever the constraints of imagination are for what an animated film company does and like what you know you know what i 'm saying like what if they completely surprised us with like what they were capable of by going so far outside of the kind of thing we thought that they could do i i 'm not talking about German dungeon porn, but like i 'm making something that 's like like really extraordinary with the, the completely bananas and dedicated creative minds inside that company. Like it kind of makes your mind real to think about what would happen if you took these people completely off the leash.
1: Yeah. Uh, like it's kind of unfair to ask Pixar to do this, but on the other hand, it's kind of fitting because the whole, whole problem Pixar faced in the beginning was, um, you can't make an entire movie with computers, right? Like it's, it's not a thing that you can do. You can use them to put special effects into young Sherlock Holmes or whatever uh but you can't make a whole movie out of that because no one will watch it no one wants to watch a bunch of computer crap right and pixar said uh, you know prove them wrong so yes you can make a whole movie with computers and people will watch it right the current barrier is you can't make a computer animated adult drama or any genre that's not basically a family movie because animation equals families at the very least uh if not kids specifically um and you just can't do that. And Final Fantasy... Not Final Fantasy. Was it? Final Fantasy uh, Spirits Within tried to do that m- many years ago and was massively not successful for a variety mm. of reasons. And mm-hmm. since then, I can't... I like Even Titan AE, and I'm trying to think of any other examples. Like, can you make a... Well, these you know, are
0: examples of uh, taking a video game and trying to make a serious film about it?
1: Uh, like, Final Fantasy is uh, not really it's not the video game licenses did it but, if, but if you're, you're not
0: trying to like but you're trying to rise above merely pandering to people who will buy a ticket based on the title
1: right so final fantasy spirits Within, if i'm getting the title right was uh, a science fiction movie um with adult supposedly realistic looking actors and you know spaceships and space things and stuff like that that was not a a family movie really like it was harder slightly harder edged than i would say star wars was not a lot of jokes no cute side ticks no animals uh no songs just a straight up like if you think of something like uh pitch black you ever see that with uh, vin diesel no yeah. you've never seen any sci-fi movies anyway i'm trying I'm to really think a, or mad wow, max like mad max quite uh, a swipe fury road is uh is obviously harder edge than this was but it was just a straightforward action adventure space movie Um, that did terribly in the box office it didn't look that great it was a long time ago and people didn't go to see it and that's the last one i can think of that really tried to do that and so the there is no sort of existence proof of hey so imagine if pixar does this people go see it because i guarantee you especially now with pixar brand being what it does it would be a huge uphill battle to say. Pixar's got a new movie and then the kids parents would take their kids to see it and be upset that it's not really appropriate for young children. They took right. to see right. it and they because, be like, because it has the? the
0: Pixar label on it, so it would be inhuman to make something you couldn't just automatically take your kids right, to.
1: Right, just like the Disney label. Like so right, right, right. you know Disney owns Pixar and Marvel. But when you see a movie that has Pixar in front of it, there are certain expectations. I mean, you see a movie that has the Marvel <laughs> right, page right, flipping right. in front of it, you have a different set of expectations. You see a movie that has Disney in front of it, you have a different set of expectations, and nobody out there is making for older kids and adults computer animated movies let alone uh, for older kids and adults computer animated movies that attempt to depict realistic people like that they do not stylize in the least like we're going to try to make we, it I think realistic. It's easy to
0: get hung up on the real people
1: part i
0: what what, what i'm thinking of is because you know, i think that that boy that's the easiest way to kibosh anything cool is to go like well it starts with having to have real people in it i mean i'm thinking of for some i'm thinking of like a movie like pie like did you see pie when it was in the theater yeah. Is it Aronofsky? That. But like mm-hmm. I remember going into Pi and I was like, This movie's insane. This movie is so weird. Or think about a movie like Memento or think there's all these kinds of movies where you go in and go like, Man, this is a, a Maybe this is a person who hasn't had their ass kicked by life yet, but they really took a shot here, and I am just basking in how bananas this movie is. And for me, that's certain Charlie Kaufman movies. I am told that the Charlie Kaufman animated movie is not that great, but what I'm trying to say is, like, imagine instead start with, like, you know, what kind of just a mind blower of a movie could there be? And I'll give you an example. You know, it doesn't need to be just about people. Uh, as my friend John Roderick and I talk about UFOs and we talk about the aliens, a theme that always goes through my mind is like, what if we stop thinking about alien life as, uh, being anything? It's almost like thinking about God. What if we stop thinking about it as this noble thing that's gonna be a biped with a helmet? Like the most constraining, dumb thing you can do when you're trying to make an alien, unless you're doing it funny, unless you're doing Lilo and Stitch, which is a great movie, in my opinion. Um, like, you know, because they're having fun with that idea but like we're so we're still so constrained this again leads back to our topic for tonight we're so constrained by our conception of what's familiar and known from the past and we end up doing aliens as like as looking like think about the monsters in monsters inc it's like what kind of ugly character will you be with a certain number of eyes or spikes it's like animation could be uniquely suited to trying to do something way beyond, like, what's that stupid James Cameron movie? Way beyond Avatar. Like, you could do something so much more interesting than, like, weirdly shaped bipeds, and that would only be possible with animation. If you wanted to tell a really amazing story about, you know, just, like, imagine imagine your wildest idea of an alien being slightly knowable, but in a way that we don't have a way to understand in in, in, the, in the context that makes sense on Earth. Like, you could do that with animation. There's things that you can do with animation to tell that kind of story that could be transformative. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Am I, am think, I sounding I think, like a crazy person? No, I think the way we do that nowadays is with, I mean, this is not a movie with aliens, but this is an example that I keep thinking of. Um, what was it called? Uh, Gravity? hmm Right? That's basically a computer animated movie with selected live live action inserted into it um sure like where that's how they do it is they basically you have a bunch of actors on sets or minimal sets and then you do the weird we can do all that stuff you do the weird aliens entirely in the computer but it's not a a computer animated movie because because live action actors right but that's how we get all the oh if there's some alien you could do unless you're going to go all art house and do kind of like the scene in inside out where everything's like 2d and everything like very conceptual like, I need a way to represent this. Or even, like, the end of 2001 with the whole, you know, colored lights coming at you uh, right. affects things. Like, you, if you're going to go all the way in that direction and make it art house, uh, yeah, you can do that. But, like, the way we do, you know, oh, aliens that are not typical-looking aliens is we just put them into live-action movies. We, we model them. We put them into live-action movies like like everything else. They're, they're, we have no problem doing that anymore. There are no limits on live-action movies, which is, I think, also part of the reason that animation doesn't go in. And it, it could be argued that the strength of animation, like the anime that I love... Is that they're not trying in, in the anime that I love. They're not trying to draw people you know, as realistically as possible, right? Right. Like if you again, you really need to just put it on your calendar somewhere. Watch, watch Millennium Actress. Okay. Watch how the main character, the, the, the main character as a young girl, like runs through the street. Watch how she moves. It is not. Realistic, but it is evocative. Um, like same thing with all the animation; the faces which you are not can real- pull
0: off, which you can pull off if you know what it is you're trying to do, and you know what the rules of the universe are.
1: Right. And the only reason I keep saying realistic for for the Pixar stuff is that they that, that all their characters like that; they're evocative of something larger. They're stylized. They are, you know, that's what they do with all their animation. And so for them, the opposite direction would be. To, uh, you know, to, to try to go uh, more straight up the middle and not have exaggerated characters with big feet and heads and, and baby proportions because they look cute and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like the, the 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 limits of animation are Pixar is, is not close to the limits of animation, but the market i think has pigeonholed yes. pixar and yes. has and has, pigeonholed pixar specifically and does not currently have room in the same way they didn't have room for a completely computer-added movie until pixar broke through doesn't have room for a, a completely animated movie in, in some respects there's more room for a cell animated movie that you know like some again something like uh the wind rises or something there's more room for that in the market these mm-hmm. days than there is For the same story told in pure computer animation, like can you imagine *The Wind Rises* being made but it's CG instead of cell? Mm -hmm. That's not you know, and *The Wind Rises* wasn't a smash hit in the United States either. So, well, I I think I may the the analogy I'm trying to I take your point. The 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 analogy I'm trying
0: to make, like here's here's a good example to me is uh, look at *Spirited Away*, and um, boy, that is just it is such a strange movie. And it's it's strange for lots of reasons. I mean, like, first of all, I mean, from an American taste and sensibility, it still, feel, it still feels kind of weird. I mean, hmm, how can I put this? Like, in most American movies, within, well, I mean, certainly in the first part of the first act, you learn who the protagonist is, and you learn that there is an antagonist or a, an antagonistic force. There is a, if you like, a villain most of the time, right? And you get that. And in so many of the Miyazaki movies... There's not really an antagonist, as we've said numerous times, what do we always say on The Incomparable? Weather. Weather is the villain in most, uh, in most Miyazaki movies. But think about the way, like, I don't know about you, I am not much of a student of animism and, and Japanese spirituality, shinto i I don't know any of that stuff i mean i would have to spend so much time on some wikipedia ish site to learn what and i I did eventually go to wikia to learn the name of the chickens with the washcloths on my head because my daughter loves them but like you know in that movie for example when that boat pulls up this is not really a spoiler but you know the scene when the fairy pulls up and the uh spirits start stepping off the boat and the first spirits you see are those spirits where it looks almost like a what, like, not a tapestry, but like a small like a cloth, but then that turns into a more coate kind of, you know, walking figure. You got the chickens walking in. <laughs> you got all these different creatures. Zero explanation about what the hell is going on. Here's what you need to know. What you need to know is that for whatever reason, this is a bathhouse, a, a spa, if you like, where uh, spirits, ghosts, whatever, spirits is probably a better term, where they go to unwind and hang out. And but, like, I, that, that ability, and then you got the, what is it, the no-face? You've got the one that eats the frog at that one point. It's like, what is that thing? I don't know what that thing is. Like, the Stargate in 2001, what is that? I don't know. I still don't know what the Stargate is. Has anybody ever really explained what the Stargate is? They haven't, but it is so evocative. And in the case of Spirited Away, this is kind of what I'm dreaming of. Like, do, do what Spirited Away did for these animistic creatures. Do that for something involving uh, intelligent life that's not people. That that's that, you know is, do you follow what I'm trying to say here? Like make make me see this thing where like I go, oh I get the gist of this even if I don't understand it. I understand enough about what I do not understand about this to just like get this part of the story.
1: You should watch uh, the uh, the 20 minute short film that's going to be part of the yeah. Anime 103 episode of the incomparable, which has a tiny little bit of that uh, Voices of a different Voices of a distant star. I always get it messed up. Voices from Voices of. I'm so bad.
0: I'm looking right now at the back of a truck for. So, it, do you approve of the YouTube Millennium Actress? But with
1: so you watch it with. Uh, well, you it's sub, it's subtitled, right? That's the real movie. It's subtitled, yeah. So, so that's the
0: one you approve of.
1: That is the only. Uh, there is no alternate version of well, there. there oh, just looking on the like on the truck here. There's yeah, some yeah, don't, DVD Don't watch the The dub is not good. Okay. I can do it. Voices of a Distant... Distant Star. It's 20 minutes long. That one, I, I can get you that one because it's hard to find mm. the version that you should watch. That is a tricky one. Right. Um, no, but anyway, it is... You're probably not prepared for it, but it's only 20 minutes long, so you can watch it three times and see if you can get it on the third try. But, but I love, it's, I love it's being treatment, It's Treatment of Alien Life is is a... it's you No, know, it doesn't... Anyway, it's Treatment of Alien Life is a little bit like what you said, but it's it's so brief and it's not really the point of the thing as you'll see but
0: but i'm so ready to like be confused it's a core competency for me well
1: well there you go that will do that for you
0: but you know what i'm saying though like like for example like i'm just saying this movie from what 68 69 you go back and watch 2001 what you remember about 2001 most people is you remember the bone the wonderful match cuts you remember the strauss you remember all that stuff but like and yeah you remember there's oh there's something something crazy at the end but like but the crazy crazy at the end is preceded the middle act, I guess kind of the second act, is so slow. <laughs> it's so languorous in the way that it tells this story. Like, you just see, like, Dave and Frank, like, eating their meals and watching the news. they like, running around the ship. This slow buildup, just this world building, world building, world building. <sighs> I don't know. I, I, I like a movie that, like, uh, I, I like a movie that is not afraid to make me extremely confused for a reason. I don't like a movie where, like, okay, I see the plot you meant, and that's not that smart. I don't want to law and order this to like where I understand this thing. I, I'm talking about something where, like, you're asking me to like be very confused about like, uh, but w- but within a, a realm of control. That's that's the kind of movies I love. I mean, again, like we've talked about Snatchy New York. Like, is that the greatest movie ever? No, but like it's amazingly emotionally evocative by this. Not even surreal. This Dada story. That like I don't know if I could draw you an outline of what happens in Senecty, New York, with confidence and what year, which thing happened. But it's one of the most emotionally evocative movies I've ever seen. I want want more of that.
1: Yeah, then you start getting to like a Terrence Malick kind of thing, where that's not where nailing down the plot is not the point.
0: Yeah, I agree. All right, Voices of a Distant Star. And then, uh, do you want to quickly touch on? I saw. I saw it. I went and saw X Men like not long after we talked. Yeah, didn't
1: it. we? Didn't we talk about it somewhere like on Slack? And I just I was just listening to it last. week, Oh, we week, talked about so. it on the. We texted about it. Yeah. Oh yeah, I was talking about the previous episode. I'd realized that at that point I had seen it and you had not, and then you had anyway. I just wanted to uh, reconfirm your love of uh, Sansa Stark, the uh, the dark. Oh Manics. yeah,
0: yeah. So I'm ro- rolling back in our texts here. Yeah, no, I I, I absolutely did enjoy it, and um, it was so funny because we saw it like. Like by the time Mike <laughs> Mike had like a draft cut of this to listen to, I was like, "Oh, this always happens." Like mm-hmm. the episode where we talked about Walking Dead, I hadn't watched that much Walking Dead. I don't want to talk too much about it, except to say I I thought it was terrific. And, uh, and basically, all, my only thought, my main thought is like, if you can get past how ridiculous uh, Apocalypse and his standing around posing for mm-hmm. horsemen are, watch for the characters. You were exactly right. It's 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 a totally it's a totally fun romp that I can highly recommend. But, like, don't take the wrong part seriously. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, that's right. Like, the, the, the movie and the villain take themselves seriously, but you're mostly just enjoying characters bouncing off each other and, and going through the story. Oh, and and,
0: Quicksilver once again. Oh my yeah. goodness, so fun.
1: And I think they gave each character a little point. Some like Magneto by the end of the movie started to be wasted, but in the in the beginning and middle, I thought he was, I like I like Fastbender as Magneto. I mean, of course I, I like the, like, Gan, like Gandalf as Magneto too. Third but.
0: act of Magneto is frankly depressing. It's like, wow. Like how many hours did that guy have to stand in front of a green screen, like moving his arms? Yeah,
1: and he didn't. And he didn't like the story had moved on from there. And apocalypse, uh, the 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 big baddie, is silly, but his motivation and mechanisms all totally make sense. Like it was it was a very sort of all right this. Uh, You know, I can imagine this happening, and I can imagine like why? Why does he? It's always so difficult to say why does the villain of your movie want to kill, want to destroy the world? Because Mm -hmm. aren't you on the world? It's it's very difficult to come up with a reasonable uh, motivation for your villain to want to literally kill everyone on the planet. Because usually that's bad for you too, because you have to stay on the planet too, and if you kill everybody. Like, there'll be no one around to bring you sandwiches. and yeah, but, but for him,
0: Earth is like a rental property with crabgrass.
1: Right. And the whole thing is, like, I you know, these people need to be ruled, and they're terrible. And uh, while I was sleeping, they messed everything up. It was We had a good system going here where, you know, we appropriately were in charge because we're super awesome, and those other people were not. And I sleep for a few thousand liters, and look at this crap. It's terrible. I, we need to start over. <laughs> and so it, it totally, you know, and he goes about it in a very serious way, and he, like... very you know like it it just it fits for his silly serious character and so I I was glad that they had a threat to them but really that's besides the point it's really just the X-Men finding each other and doing stuff and like every character got their little mini arc which is so hard to do I thought Civil War did a really good job with it too but just Mm -hmm. give each set of characters their moments establish their relationship at the beginning of the movie and evolve it a little bit, lead into the next movie. Dark Phoenix is obviously the most dramatic. You kind of, you know, her, you know where her arc is going. If you've seen any of these movies before, but I really like that actress. I think Sansa's a really having good a great job. summer right now. Yeah, yeah. Did you watch? I did. I did. Oh, Jiminy. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna do we're we'll do a whole podcast about that soon. Oh, oh that's
0: right. I saw that.
1: Go to the doodle. Uh, no, doodle the doodle. I, see, I don't know enough about it. It's where Sansa Stark uh, sleeps and the, the the paint bubbles on the wall. Huh? What? <laughs> remember she's asleep, she's having a nightmare that the paint is bubbling on the wall
0: Oh right 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 Oh man that's a
1: bad, that's a bad sign by the way I was
0: telling I was telling Dan today uh, as we record this uh, we just did back to work and I was saying like uh, you know if I, if I were to really sit down and think about that Game of Thrones, I'm sure there, there's there's some things like you know I wish uh, Santa had talked to the uh, little finger guy a little sooner sure but there was there was like three different set pieces in that that would be on a clip
1: reel for a genre of a TV show <laughs> do you know what I mean yeah I said like I was saying in slack you like that battle scene was oh better than gosh. most battle scenes I've seen in movies for the same type of thing like medieval sort of people
0: you get so used to watching Game of Thrones and going like okay we're gonna get an inch and a half of story on 16 different people right I mean this has kind of been it's, it's fun to follow along but like mm-hmm. there is there's times this is like an ongoing bit it's like ah and we're gonna find out like we're going to get, uh, you know, a girl is going to get just this tiny little bit of, uh, she's going to basically get hit in the face a few times this week, and then we'll see her again in a few weeks. Mm-hmm. But, like, this was this was a payoff episode, big time. This was a, uh, <laughs> we're not too far gone episode. Oh, my God. And two mythical creatures. Oh, my God.
1: <sighs> yeah, they spent a lot of money on this one. But, like I said, I think everything in it was so well done. I was so impressed with, with the mechanics of their battle scene. I'm so sick of seeing mud and blood movies that was a saving private ryan level reboot of what you would expect from something like this right because it was just they were so good about keeping it coherent letting you keep track of where people are and what they're doing they had their chaotic right. moments where you're supposed to feel panicked and that, that worked too like they did and everything then they changed the audio
0: did you notice the in the pile the way the
1: audio changed yeah, yeah. oh my god that was astonishing no it was it was it was a really good episode. I
0: will, wis- I will listen to that show uh, when you people put it out Also, I just found, I found finally the exact quote, my favorite, I think my favorite quote from the Avengers movie, when Loki says, an ant has no quarrel with a boot. That's a pretty Mm -hmm. great line. Mm -hmm. He's a smart guy. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by MailRoute. You can learn more about MailRoute right now by visiting mailroute.net slash diffs, that's D-I-F-F-S. I got to tell you a sad story. IT departments today, I, I feel your pain. You're expected to do so much more with less money. And that includes some really important stuff like stopping spam and virus attacks. Nobody wants those. On top of it all, end of life announcements for trusted hardware and software options make those decisions so much more difficult. Remember this first postini? Remember those postini? Then that went away. Mm-hmm. Now MX Logic gone. See you later. Sayonara. Bye. Who can you trust to do the job well and to stick around? I'm going to tell you, spoiler alert. MailRoute. 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 MailRoute will protect your email and your hardware against spam, viruses, and other attacks. There's no hardware or software to install. If you own your domain, that's all you need to use MailRoute. MailRoute's team has focused exclusively on email protection since 1997. Their interface is easy to use and it's loaded with admin tools, including an API, and it's all designed to make your life spam-free. They got everything you could ever want mail route supports ldap active directory tls mailbagging outbound relay everything you'd want from the people handling your mail you know here's the thing do do you want people who are uh, who are uh, in the in the garden supply business uh, handling your email you want people who ship uh, like 55 uh, gallon drums of, of of lubricant to do your email no no what about people who make uh, make cars You don't want that. You want people who do email for a living. These are email nerds. Email is all they do. It's all they want to do. They've been doing it since 1997. And right now, MailRoute is offering special price matching for McAfee and MXLogic customers. You can stop spam today with your free 30-day trial of MailRoute. You go to mailroute.net slash diffs. Listeners of this show get 10% off for the lifetime of their account. Real simple. MailRoute protects your email from spam and viruses. That's it. That's all they do. And they do it better. They've been doing it longer than anyone else you go to mailroute.net slash diffs. our thanks to MailRoute for supporting reconcilable differences in all of relay fm so topic this week um this is that weird topic okay first of all sorry (laughs) another week goes by we're not gonna talk about free will or are we you don't know what we're gonna do oh don't i (laughs) i think we have a topic this week we do this is your thing this is my thing. Um, I want to talk about the future. <laughs> is that with an exclamation point? The future. <laughs> I said. I said to my uh, my family. I was getting ready to leave. I was, I was fixing to leave. Uh, dinner dinner was happening, and I was like, I, I gotta go. And uh, and I said to Madeline and Eleanor, I said, uh, y- you know what I'm gonna talk about tonight? I said, the future. And Did you point this. your index finger into the air? No. Worse. Imagine me standing like like almost like I'm uh, you know like fencing. And, and and I got my hand kind of here And then it goes. I swoop across the sky I say, the future For that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives Yeah,
1: I watched that video clip Which I had never seen before And I'm not sure why it was so meaningful to you
0: You never saw that movie? No Oh my gosh, really?
1: Is it are... Plan 9 from Outer Space? Is, the, is that a clip from that movie?
0: Uh, That is, I believe, the actual clip from Plan 9 But have you seen Ed Wood? No Really? Okay. Interesting. Hmm. Have I know you seen about. Pee-wee? It. Have you seen Pee Wee? Yes. Okay. Hmm. What about the uh, Jack Skellington movie? You seen that? Don't think so. Nightmare Before Christmas. You seen that?
1: Oh yes. Hmm. What about that- uh,
0: Edward Scissorhands? You seen that? Yes. What about the uh, Alice in Wonderland movie? The Alice in Wonderland
1: movie? What? With Johnny Depp? Probably. No.
0: No. What about, what about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory with uh, Johnny Depp? No. And N-O. oh, hmm. I don't know why uh, there are two threads to um, exposure to John Syracuse has made me think about these these two threads that I feel like I can't get away from. Um, one thing you talk about a lot on ATP. So so here's two things, two things about you. You've had a, a big impact on me in a lot of ways, a big uh, effect on me in a lot of ways. Uh, I don't consider myself a particularly rational thinker, but you've made me more aware of <laughs> intentionally or not making me realize how somewhat irrational I can be, how emotional I can be and how much it is easy for people to fall back on what is familiar in thinking about what to do next in life. So that's a thing. That's an effect you've had on me. The other thing is something you guys talk about a lot on ATP. It's becoming a running joke, but you've also made me much more sensitive to this idea of like, you know, to to stop thinking about like the quarter to quarter progress of how things happen to think more about, um, we'll just say longer timelines, to think about, like, you know, I'm not going to make the joke that's always made, but, like, you would always say things like, well, iTunes. Okay, so iTunes. Will iTunes always be exactly the way it is? Well, either iTunes will change or it will eventually go away, but it will not be here for eternity. And, like, there's something about you talking about that stuff, talking about the file systems. It gets me thinking about this idea of, like, oh, instead of thinking about stuff in terms of, like, what's going to happen this quarter, next quarter... Let's think about what happens when and why in the future. And then finally, what really gets me interested, third, is you talking about, I felt this uh, disappointment. I think you said as much. This disappointment when you talked about, like, being a kid and thinking about AI and, like, real AI and, like, when we could expect the really serious, cool computer stuff to happen. Would it happen in your lifetime, right? So, themes. Uh, You know, rationality and kind of thinking clearly, a longer view of the future and John's seemingly personal, like basic, like in your heart disappointment about what you wish could happen in your lifetime. And that's why I want to talk to you about the future. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. And I don't know. I, I mean, it was definitely a disappointment when I was a kid. Speaking, of But that you stuff, talked about this
0: during the – what episode was the that? The Parameters it of we- the
1: World. Right, and episode. one of the
0: things, but you were going through, like, how do we know what we know? Like, how do we know what is true? And things like that. But it sounds like you had a genuine, somewhere in, I like, guess, probably in the 80s, it sounds like you had, like, a kind of a dark night of the soul realizing what was likely to happen. There were things that were likely to happen eventually that it sounds like it dawned on you that they weren't going to happen in your lifetime, and it made you sad.
1: Yeah, and... I don't know that that sort of that vision of the future. Like basically, it's like finding out where we really are now, because everybody will always spin out tales of the future and what it might be like. Like the we, we see that everywhere. We just you know, we look at it back and and laugh at like, oh, this is what they thought the future would be like. Um, and you see like so many things in history, like you, this common common mistakes that we always make We make them again and again, and it's impossible not to make them. And in the aggregate, not individuals, but in the aggregate, like you that the people things people always say about the future is uh that their their predictions are much too colored by the present like they can't see past the present it's the whole mm-hmm. idea of like you know everything being connected with wires and you know everyone traveling everywhere with hot air balloons or like they just cannot or fax machines being everywhere like in back to the future like they have 50 machines today we have one fax machine the future will have 50 like they cannot see past the the present that is that they're soaking in right mm-hmm. that's the one mistake they make and the other mistake they make is to be way too fantastical like okay well we went from zero to the moon in x number of years extrapolating Therefore, out that way, we will, we will be on pluto in right. 2015 right, right. um or, you know or we will have flying cars or robots that talk to us like you know ai is, is the classic one right and d- depending on which like it's easy to see why they go in uh, in each direction like so the ones that that the predictions that are just way too far out are, are wish fulfillment we want there to be intelligent ai's that do our bidding because it is it would solve a lot of problems for us it's like you know they're they're not people they're robots they uh especially in the early versions we don't think of them as having any rights and they just do our bidding and their understanding and they're our friends and their complete wish fulfillment and same thing with the space stuff we will spread out the stars manifest destiny writ large on, on the galaxy and eventually the whole universe that's what we do, we explore, it's romantic. Therefore we will be you know, spaceships will be everywhere, and the dream of flight and flying cars and you know. Um, and then the 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 lower stake stuff there's not wish fulfillment. and we just try to say, what will it be like in the future? Well, probably we'll have six fax machines and when we get fired they'll all roll out a piece of paper that says fired, right? Or we'll be able to That's that's a really good way to
0: put it though, because like that's it it's like a combination of like uh, we on the one hand that so you think like, Oh, if I want to try and predict the future or think about the future, I unconsciously you always want to do a combination of like the plausible like f- ubiquitous thing that we have now that we're pretty sure that we're going to have a better version of. Yeah, I love your 6, six facts fa- fax machines. That that that's the title. Um but it, you combine like the thing and, and and like the running joke always is like that. You can always kind of clock a, a lot of sci-fi historically by what the predominant sort of paradigm is. Like in the in the um in the like you see dirigibles at one point and then later on like everything's about radio and radio waves and then like sci-fi from the 50s everything looks like a television because that's that was the kind of the the emerging thing so it's some combination or you know further on like you know however you want to slice this but it's some combination of like the 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 lines that we can draw between the dots for the last 50 to 100 years combined with what's brand freaking new Right. And that's kind of why I think I don't Nothing jump ahead. This is why VR gets a bad rap is because VR is always just a little bit ahead. And that's why it always seems perpetually already dated is because we're not there yet with VR. It always seems like we're always like like right there. But like it's that combination. And so that's why you like, you know, you can go and watch stuff from I mean, how many movies from the 90s have like an incredibly ambitious sci fi idea or speculative fiction idea, but are based on like uh, dial up phones. Because that that the conceit of
1: so many things fall apart if you don't have a, a dial up phone, you know what I mean. And yeah, so I was just thinking of like Star Wars being the Matrix, of, yeah. Or but just thinking of things being defined by their error or whatever. I in in watching Star Wars and rewatching it with my kids and everything, I'm 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 always struck by how Star Wars. Again, it was a long time ago, but anyway, they have spaceships and they have robots um, and they have lightsabers and they have, they have pretty good tech there. Like you know what I mean. Uh, but every Star Wars movie. Uh, is so clearly made in an era without the internet. Their lack communication would destroy half those plots. The idea that right. uh, that events happen and people don't know about them because they're they're on different planets, and you can be in the outer rim and not know. Like the pervasiveness on the internet does not ever lead you to make a universe that is basically like a space opera, like a, like the Wild West in space. Like the the communication right, right. limits, the fact that they are not all constantly in touch with the, each other and the entire galaxy, and there is not like a a pan galactic network of news and social networking and information exchange that would destroy those movies in that entire universe because that was conceived in error without that
0: at least a um like a uh a galactic walkie-talkie at the very least i mean on the one hand like there's always that ongoing thread of like think about how many things over over time of like are pretty much like a a sexy space stock ticker where it's like, oh, information is being received, sir. We've got new information mm-hmm. from like you know, uh, you know, uh, sector seven G or whatever.
1: And compare and, that how we how we get information even just today. How do we get information? There's but that's no, that's even no
0: setting secret. aside the other part, which is just like you know, think about motion sensors in space. There's so much stuff where you would like not need to have the walkie-talkie because there would be like the ability to just
1: know where stuff is the equivalent of gps cameras everywhere pervasive recording at the very least planet-wide and then intergalactic and interplanet i mean they do have faster than light travel like but it's just the, the the massive like the idea that uh that ray wouldn't have a cell phone that she was constantly playing with right that, that was connected to the entirety of that planet that she knew everything about it she knew all the prices of what she could get for these parts at different stations like and again, I'm not saying this is a flaw in Star Wars. It is defined by the era that it was created. And the era it was creating in, uh, they were extrapolating from what they knew, like, you know, Wild West, Space Opera, Samurai, whatever, and, you know, 50s-style spaceships. Um, and they were fantasizing about things they could imagine. I can do magic. I can move things with my mind. I have a really cool sword that glows. Um, I'm like a, a, you know, a space cowboy, uh, Han Solo, or whatever. Right. Uh, and totally, and, and the Six Facts Machines is not seeing you know i guess not predicting the internet but not seeing how communication how the democratization of data and communication will reshape the world and in a universe with all those things how could it not but that's not that's not the error that it was made in so it like yeah the, the futures as we conceive them they're not wrong or flawed even when they're they're fiction or non-fiction or whatever but they're so informed by the, by the people that made them and they have to be sort of self they have to be understood in that context which kind of mm-hmm. makes me think that like at a certain point star wars will be non-understandable to people even now when kids watch it they'd be like why doesn't these why don't these characters just call each other on their cell phones and they will you know like right. well, how, how are they out of communication it, how it is this information yeah. not known
0: it is actually shocking uh, and I'm not thinking of too many I <laughs> this should be a Tumblr but basically there, there are so many plots Definitely from, well, certainly so many Hitchcock movies, but like so many and so many mysteries in general, but movies through the 60s, obviously, hugely in the 70s. Think about how many movies and Think about, um, what's the uh, Clint Eastwood movie with Scorpio? has to go he goes to a subway station near our house or scorpio is making him run like you know go to Kezar stadium like make him run to forest hill station he's got to go to all of these landmarks in san francisco to go answer a pay phone um i mean you know even if you're not being like haha beep boop silly 70s like so much of the plot of those is based on you are somewhere where there's absolutely no way for you to know what two or more other actors are, are doing right now i mean for God's sake, think about how much Shakespeare would fall apart with cell
1: phones. Like, there's no way, there's so much stuff that's based on miscommunication. At least those are period pieces, though. Like, the worst, right, like right, I said, right. the worst is when they extrapolate that forward in the future. and Like, everything will be amazing. You'll have spaceships, but you still won't know what the heck is going on in the galaxy because there's no internet. It would be limited
0: to, like I said, like walkie-talkies. It was basically advanced telephones. Even in, and again, now, uh, even in 2001, when the guy goes into the little thing to talk to his daughter, who's got a birthday coming up, you know, it's a video phone but you know but then on the other hand the the whole problem with the the scuttlebutt about what's what's going on you know with this place where like the, no calls can be placed to what's going on it's uh, it's all very weird but like you know the matrix that was what 98
1: 99 yeah i think i can excuse the matrix because it was it was supposed to be a simulation of the 90s and that's what they had in the 90s but it's obviously outside the matrix it was a little bit weird that they were out of touch with zion so much you know they, uh, it, Matrix is a little bit of mess, uh, of a mess tech-wise, but you you get an out if you say, oh no no, this is a computer simulation. It's like, all right, well then they construct the world however they want it. But it's, it's out in the outer world, uh, how to think, and then you could say, oh well, they don't have a lot of tech because they're in caves and they're constantly being killed by by these robots and stuff. But, <laughs> sure. Yeah, we'll yeah, allow it. The Matrix has a lot, a lot of problems in that, in that area. But um, again, again, back to your VR thing, that's that's another great example of... It's still, to this day, it is so easy for a lot of
0: super smart people to look at that and go, and just think about Jaron Lanier uh, on in Wired Magazine in the 90s and go, ugh, this again? And like I'm, my feeling... Partly influenced by you and I don't know if you agree, but my feeling influenced by you is like, well, yeah, but like, just because it's not here yet doesn't mean it won't be a thing. Like, how can this not be a thing?
1: Yeah, so th- it's got it's got both aspects going for it. The, the VR fantasy angle, the one that makes it so attractive, the one that makes us say we're going to be on Pluto in 2015, like that angle is because people like people have been extrapolating about VR before any of the tech was a glimmer in anyone's eye, or like you know just the holodeck, like uh, essentially. I would like to substitute a reality that I can control for my own in a convincing way. Um, I mean, even like in Ancient Man, it's all about like dreams or entering a spirit realm or whatever. But then in the tech realm, it's like I want to enter a place where it's like I'm there, but it's not a real place. It's made up and I can control, you know what happens there i can live out it's literally i can live out my fantasy so that's why anytime vr comes up it immediately triggers the i'm going to extrapolate and say that things are going to be awesome we're going to have flying cars and we're going to be on uh, on pluto and we're going to have a substitute reality and we're going to have the holodeck and like those stories get written forever and ever and will continue to get written forever the as we come into the modern era when vr starts to come plausible the other story that gets written is kind of the same story as like first person shooters where it's like people had that idea and a couple people made a stab at it but it wasn't until doom arrived and like we crossed a technological threshold where it's like oh no i see okay yeah no that that's exactly that's exactly it and the same thing with the iphone we had touchscreens before that it really hadn't cost, crossed that tech threshold and there are a lot of those tech thresholds we're probably approaching one of those tech thresholds for vr but the problem is the huge gap between crossing that tech threshold and the fantasy of and therefore it'll be like reality it would just we're, we're, we're so incredibly far from that because it's like we're just putting pretty crappy photons into our eyeballs and some sound into our ears. And that's it. None of our other senses are engaged. You're never going to be convinced that this is a reality. Like, it's, you will have a better chance trying to figure out how to lucid dreams because that is a way better sensory <laughs> experience than VR is ever going to be. But the fantasy is, I put this helmet on and I'm in a different place. And it is immersive. And it does engage you in the way a great movie can engage you or a great regular video game can engage you. And this is a step up. But it is not the fantasy. Uh, it's not the holodeck, right? We're like, right. We have, no, we have no way to get sensory input into humans in anything approaching the fantasy version of this and it doesn't matter how good the tech gets for putting screens in front of your eyeballs like we need to get into the the deep deep sort of I am directly connecting into your sensory system you can't tell that you're even there you touch things you feel things you feel hot you feel cold you feel the breeze on you you smell things you taste things you can eat things you can take a poop in VR like that is (laughs) like that's that's the fantasy and we're about as close to that as like we were when someone invented the wheel to go into the moon, like probably farther away, um, which is fine. Like, I'm not saying this is a condemnation of VR, but it's amazing that one technology can have both of those things happening at the same time. And that, like, pe- and the same thing with first person shooters, like people think that VR is like, Oh, we're going to hit that doom moment and then we'll run away with it. And then simple extrapolation, holodeck. And it's like, no, you will hit that doom moment and you will probably run away with it. Plus or minus issues with, uh, you know, motion sickness. We'll see how that works out. but, you're probably more at your Wolfenstein moment than, than Doom. And, and, and You're not anywhere close to Sherlock Holmes and the holodeck.
0: But you're, I think in what you're describing right there, you're, you're nailing uh, this, this, this problem of constraint of imagination in some way. So think about something like um, mobile phones. So mobile phones, I've, I mean, setting aside like a guy my uh, mom used to work with in the 70s had a car phone in the 70s which was, you know, just ridiculously expensive. Nobody could understand anything that he was saying. It was, you know, it was, it was the ultimate, like, Veblen phone. <laughs> you know, it was very silly. But I'm thinking about, like, by the time that I got my first jobby job, uh, circa 1991, our uh, the guy who kind of mostly was the showrunner <laughs> for the company had a Motorola um, car phone, like a mobile phone. It, it basically looked like a satchel with a strap that you would take into your car. So let's take it as red. You know, like, when, when, when did we first go, like, when did mobile phones first arrive on the scene at scale? I'm going to say the mid-90s, right? So, like, you first started seeing some kind of mobile phones, like, you see, like, a Wall Street kind of style phone. But, like, you, you started seeing this around, like, what,
1: 1995, really, right? Roughly? Yeah, probably are than that. I think '80s movies had people with with definitely. But those car were
0: exceptional. Phones. But no, I mean, like even in Wall Street, which is I think 1987, like the the ridiculous Gordon Gecko on the beach with a
1: phone phone mm-hmm. that that was a statement scene. When it became commonplace, you mean the regular people had them.
0: When somebody that you knew or aware of had a phone, definitely in the '90s. And I'm gonna say the mid '90s. I didn't get my first mobile phone until 1999, and I was a little late. Cause you know why? Let's be honest. I was culturally super against it. I thought it was gross. I thought the whole phenomenon of people talking on their phone in public was was well, just why, disgusting. So
1: why you are talking into your shoe?
0: <laughs> that's why. That's where. It, well, no, that's where it all started. You no, know, the joke of me talking into my wallet started in the nineties, and my <laughs> my lady at the time was just just mortally just mortified because as soon as we'd be standing somewhere and going, like, yeah, yeah, no, are we're, we're over here by the Chick fil A. Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A. And, uh, you know, of course, the connections were terrible. And so I would pick up – I would honestly, like, with full commitment, take out my wallet and start acting like I was very – like, total improv commitment. Like, I was very seriously having a very passionate phone call with somebody on my wallet. And she would just sink into the floor. It made her so sad. (laughs) It, was just, it seemed like such a faux pas like, to be in a restaurant and to be screaming into your phone at the table. Long story short, all I'm trying to say is that, like, l- let's take it as red. Like, what? Maybe even, let's say, 93, 94. I'm thinking, like, when I got – I remember when StarTax came along. It was a really big deal when I got hired at my dot-com job in 99. The big rollers got Motorola StarTax, which at that time were kind of the baller phones. But, like, when did you first remember – and I'm going somewhere with this. When do you first remember, like, phones arriving on the scene? As something, like, people you knew had.
1: I was a non-adopter for so long, as you know. Like I, mean, as I, like I
0: know, I know. But, like, like seeing them around, like, when do you remember seeing, like, normal people, like, in your family or in yeah, your Yeah, I, I,
1: w- I would say that I think the Star Tech era is when I first started to notice them because that's when they got... I'm going to say 98, around 98. That's when they got small enough that, like, you'd seen people with phones, but they seemed big and it seemed kind of silly. Once they became small enough to just disappear into a pocket or a purse... Then it was like, okay, and then it seemed like more people had them. Like, that was the sort of, like, the iMac moment, or not really the iMac moment. But like well, it the, was. The point- also,
0: Star startech was in the pocket for anybody who had ever enjoyed TOS, like that looked like a communicator.
1: yeah no it, it flipped open it was the future it was small you could have them I mean it's even before the razor like the razor was in an, an, another step so that's, uh, that's function, way right? later yeah right. right but but yeah StarTac showed that they weren't because the Gordon Gecko phone and all the other ones that leading up to it still look like big fat nerdy things and the StarTac mm-hmm. looked like a thing a regular person could have and I'm sure it all what it really comes down to is like how much did they cost how much did the plans cost like mm-hmm. there was some inflection point there I was not participating in that at all, but I saw people started to have them. Um,
0: But if you had a phone in, if you had a phone in, I'm going to say at least for me in Tallahassee, Florida in 1997, 98, if you had a mobile phone, if you had what we then called a cell phone and you used it, it was an overt status thing. Like you wanted people to see you using your phone.
1: Well, the pagers before that were the real status, especially with computer nerds and with drug dealers, I guess, like the Mm -hmm. the idea that you were important enough to have a pager like I, all, all the nerds I knew had pagers back before cell phones were a thing that they could give everybody to because they need it was like a connection mm-hmm. between them and their computers and their computers would page them and their work would page them about their computers because they and they were so important they needed to be in touch with their computers
0: they, they could never they could never not be in touch it was yeah. like
1: doctor you understand why dr beeper has a beeper
0: because he's a doctor like
1: he's got to have a beeper right, right? And, you're, and you're important too because you take care of your webmaster you're, You're a webmaster web. You your, CGI, your CGI bin might have gone down. Right, who knows what could be happening. And so, <laughs> yeah, that's why you had to have your, and, uh, your your pager. And then the cell phones, especially, you know, the cell phones were a natural sort of extension of that, but the pagers in a way were still techy was like, well, your cell phone could just get you voice calls, but I need to get texts.
0: When we were, well, yeah, this is going back, but I remember it was a pretty big deal. I was an RA in 1988, and so you would be like on call. You know what I mean? Like on a weekend, some RA had to have the pager. Where like if something went wrong, the cops or whoever could get in touch with you, like you might have to go in and like collapse on a situation. And that was 1998. And it was basically just a black box with a switch that went beep, beep, beep. But okay, so I'm sorry, I'm, I don't mean to drag this out. But I guess what I'm trying, there's a thesis I'm trying to 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 make here that like this, that what the the evolution of mobile phones from circa, let's say, Let's even say over 20 years. Let's say, for the sake of argument, 1996, 2006. Like, that tells you so much of what you need to know about understanding the future, in my mind. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, at, at first, it's, it's outlandish good that you only have for the purpose of showing people that you're a douchebag and a doctor. Like, you know, and I remember thinking, like, in particular, like, I wrote an article about this for a local paper, local throwaway, when I was a writer, uh, saying, like, you know, yeah, you're so important that, like, you can't go to lunch. Like you're telling me, like the phone, the phone that you have to produce at lunch. If you're not willing to cop that, that is a status move on your part. Then you're a loser. Because, like, guess what? Important people get to go and have lunch for an hour. That always seemed like such a such a weird uh, contradiction to me.
1: But I feel like that is uh, that's how it looked to you at the time. But you were looking at it the wrong way. You were you were looking at it as I'm so important that people are going t- to get in touch with me. But as we saw, as this as this played out over the next twenty years. The idea is that we all want to be potentially in touch with all with with each other at all times, whether we're going to use it or not. It's like we we want that that interconnectedness, and that that's why people feel weird about going somewhere without their cell phone. What if I want it, especially in the age mm. of internet? We want access to information, we want access to other people, and also we want other people to have access. I to I disagree
0: us. a little bit because back then, making a call on a phone was costly, and back then, if if you were spending your minutes like being on the phone. It wasn't so different from like shipped ashore or something, right? Like, but
1: you you just wanted to. It's not that you were going to use it. It's not as if you felt like you like. It but was you're a, it at was sushi a, lunch
0: was, at the sushi buffet in Tallahassee. It was a, it, it was
1: a dotted line on the graph between you and the entire rest of the world. That's what it boils down to. That you you wouldn't leave behind the dotted line. You'd be severing yourself from the graph, right? Even though the graph was expensive and you right. only use it in important things, like the the incredible instinctual draw to being to being part of a group, to being part of a network, to being. Uh, potentially in touch is just so compelling to human beings that it didn't take much like that virus of like they just got to get cheap enough and small enough so i'm not embarrassed to have one and then everyone wants to have one at all times and it stopped being oh you think you're super important you're going to be called into surgery when you're at the sushi bar that's not what it became about it became about the insecurity of not having it it became like once you get used to the idea that you're in touch uh not being in touch it's as if you, you went to, to lunch and all the roads leading from lunch back to work rolled up and disappeared and were replaced with forest. Like, that's how people <laughs> would feel if they didn't have their cell phones. They'd be like, I'm but, in the But I middle mean, not, the not in the early
0: days, not in the early days.
1: But I think it didn't take long for it to catch on. The whole idea that you would be without your phone. Before the internet phone, just the plain old cell phone, even if you never used it. Like, yeah, how many people just... That's true, yeah. Like, and, and that's, that's, the, that's the draw, and that's why they caught on, like, wildfire. And this is, again, even before you get, uh, even before the internet factors in, like, before you get into data like that's that's the other thing about the future it's like much of the future future is especially the fantasy future is at, predicted aspirationally on what we would like to believe humans like the best the better angels of humans right mm-hmm. when the, the actual future is almost always predicated on like the lizard brain of humans <laughs> like what what has exploited the base instincts of humans and uh not in a bad way but like that's what catches on like wildfire okay you're you're killing my analogy so i'm gonna let it go um
0: (laughs) let's go to the next thing um i brought brought it to life i shot lightning into it thank you like frankenstein all all i was really trying to say was that or his monster he was actually the scientist (laughs) actually all i was trying to say was that like it seems like about every two to three years our understanding of what this thing was for changed to where, like, like, kind of the point you eventually ended up crushing me with, was that, you know, what started out as this this Veblen good or this, like, high-status item uh, in 1996 has now become this thing that just monitors stuff in my world and lets me know about stuff in the way that I want. And it's so improbable. Like, even now, and the funny part and all of that, think about this. Think. Oh, gosh. Think about this, that the introduction of the iPhone is like a full half of that history at this point. That's so bananas. Because I can't even tell you how many Samsung phones I had. Some that I really liked. First one I ever got, I had a Nokia. And we'll get past this because you've already crushed it. But I had a Nokia, uh, like a candy bar phone that I liked a lot. Couldn't kill it. But then I had the succession of different Samsung phones. At one point, I had a Sprint phone that was meant to compete with the iPhone that had screens on both sides. And it was super silly. But like, you know, in the time before 2007, like when I had like a eventually uh the Palm 5, the Palm 7, uh later a what a trio, right? I mean, when the Trio arrived, by the time the Trio arrived, you're like, "Oh, oh you, oh you computer people, how much further could you conceivably go with you this?" You could email on
1: your phone. It's crazy. You could
0: email sync well, to your phone. If you've got a serial cable, you can make your contacts
1: go onto your device. Well, I think at that point like the the weird spot cell phones found themselves in is that the network uh, right up to the point where you were getting primitive emails on your BlackBerry, or your Treo, or whatever, the network they were attached to started to become like a legacy network because at that point, pe- in the same way that people, I was saying, like that, that you know, once the virus of, of being able to reach everybody at all times, like just just having it with you made you feel like you're still connected to the graph and dotted line. Right. The second graph that came in was the internet, and it's the reason so many people of a certain generation spent so much time sitting in front of a gigantic CRT connected to a modem or Uh a campus network, because when you're sitting in front of that thing, you were connected to the rest of the world through like a character terminal or, you know, even before the web or whatever. Like when you were sitting there, you were connected by a pretty strong line to literally the entire world. And when you got up from that desk, you were disconnecting from that network. And right. that network came to be the most important one. And that network was better because it was literally everybody in the world, not just your country, right? There were there were like no borders. And the things that were happening on there were evolving at a breakneck pace from, you know, Telnet to Gopher and then the web and then IRC and like just everything, you know, and online gaming and everything. That became the more important network and what happened is the things that we used to call cell phones quietly got replaced with clients for that other much more important network to the point that we all know we are now the most most of the time all you're doing with your cell phone quote unquote Mm -hmm. is using it as a tiny uh version of the gigantic crt that everyone's sitting from and now it's exactly the same thing people don't want to go anywhere without their phone not because they want to be out of voice contact or off of the voice network but because they would be severing themselves from the internet essentially Mm Mm-hmm. And it's you know it again it it takes advantage of the you know that humans are a social animal and that that is the draw of that is irresistible and the consequences of of it are so world changing that it it couldn't help but take over and it's the type like there are plenty of things in the future that foresaw like you said a video calling. Or I can I can reach anyone you know long distance calling for free or whatever whatever weird. But those like, are all like 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 cartoon demos. Those are all like you know blue sky solutioneering kinds right, of right. things. Right, and they didn't they didn't realize like they didn't in all the visions of the future that was just like an aside. And of course we have video calling because it's the future. And of course you know long distance is free because it's the future. Um, <laughs> and it's now the thing I dread. And, more and than we can anything. send <laughs> we can send documents like anywhere to anyone. Sometimes they'd have them printing out a paper on the other end, which was always adorable, right? But then they would continue on. And of course there's flying cars and we have space stations and all these great things. Yeah, and, all the things you know, we expected, right? They're all there. And jetpacks and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you have missed, like proportion wise, what is going to be important to the future is that part you brushed over by the video calls because the consequences of pervasive networking and communication... Right. swamp everything else you're going to think of they swamp everything every other idea even if we had them self-driving cars or whatever like even that is built yeah. into the internet. like it because it, it, but it's not accounting for the change in culture because like that's the other thing is like in
0: what you're describing like in in most things where you would show something like a video call you would treat it almost like going to church where you you would go and like think about you know or I don't know if it was like this for you but like for me going and like going to the Hayes modem and logging in back at a time when it meant something to log into the internet you would go do email you would do internet and then you go back to doing computer over here like that's computer is what you do you know ninety five percent of the day plus you don't want to spend too much time on the modem because you know there's costs associated with that but what what was ineffable and indescribable was the casualness of it. And like not casual in like a in terms of like what was the dumb video from 1999 the uh, information explorer what was that called was that you remember that knowledge that Apple? navigator the Apple knowledge, knowledge navigator. navigator that's it we got to find that what what you can't the thing that you can't fake is the the casualness of just that environmental stuff that's always just popping up with what you need to know which is so different from going like now it's time for Jack Benny we're gonna go like sit and listen to this. It's such a different – like, you can't – because there's so many uh, intermediary stages of technology. There's, like, five stages of technology that you skip to get to that future thing that can't account for the culture that changed. And, you know, technology and culture go together. You cannot separate those and, like, just put them under a bell jar and go, like, oh, now I understand the future. Because that's what changes, too. I mean, the culture and technology – will always go hand in hand and when we focus too much on the technology we forget about the culture and we lose track of like how people actually interact with these things
1: and that that's how things spread like like wildfire through the entire world that's how they have a disproportionate effect like you know if you were to, all those things about the future again they all had something about communication no of them predicted that actually the most important development defining the future for the next like hundred years is going to be pervasive worldwide networking Nobody got that because they, it was just one in the bin with 17 other things. And they would have said, proportionally wise, yeah, you're probably right, less you're right. important than flying cars or whatever. And that's why a lot of the futurists now, when they see VR, getting back to that, is they say, well, that one, that one. And, and I agree with them, except their timelines are way off. Um, if that one ever comes to reality, that will also, my, my whole thing is that the holodeck would destroy humanity. Because if you could pull that off, <laughs> we, the, the human animal is poorly <laughs> equipped to make good choices when one of them is you can all your fantasies come true and you will feel good and wonderful <laughs> and engaged and challenged and satisfied in all the ways that your little monkey brain wants forever and ever and ever like you think you're scared of ai wait until there's a guy on the holodeck who gets all the room service he wants because believe me that's going to get right out. like just we are not equipped we are equipped exactly the opposite all of our instincts are to help us to survive and to seek out to avoid pain to seek out pleasure to uh, uh, you know all, all the drives that brought us to where we are are, are essentially a trap because we, if we can ever satisfy those technologically we will just sit in the holodeck and, until we starve to death and die and you're like i will never do that because i don't want to die you won't know like the whole idea is you won't know you're in the holodeck anymore and like in, in the moment when you know and make that choice, everyone will make that choice, right? So it's essentially yeah. the end of humanity floating out there. The good thing is we are so incredibly far from that, you don't have to worry about it. But but, uh, but the VR, th- like that that's an example of like if you, if you extrapolate far enough, if we can ever achieve that... Um, the reason people keep leaning on that is like, oh that will be another thing. Like that that is the most important technological advancement. Essentially, <laughs> you know, yeah, that's right. It's the end of humanity. <laughs> and it would be really important. It would sweep across the entire universe unless we had somehow evolved out of that at that point. And again, that gets into our past to be past discuss like what what is evolution selecting for now? What are the evolutionary pressures on humans? It's really weird and, and difficult to figure out. So it's possible that by the point we get to that, the evolutionary pressures could have changed the uh, the, the human makeup. But I don't know it's, it's a tough call but anyway that's why people keep latching on to VR because they see that the, the, you know the visionaries are seeing in the ways that the past visionaries didn't see that they didn't see the internet would be this the most important development of the next hundred years people see VR and say that will be the most important development of the next hundred years and they're right just that 100 years has shifted probably 10,000 years into the future <laughs> like it's not it's right not this right. hundred years and there's so many things that can come before it but they can see, like, they can see the finish line, kind of. They can see, the, the humanity can see the finish line. Um, and unfortunately, people get that confused with the thing that puts screens in front of your eyeballs. and gives you better video games.
0: But it's also, my um, admittedly lame brain comparison is to think about, like, anytime you want to show, like a, like, a wacky video of the early 20th century, you have crazy, like, fast pseudo ragtime piano music while you show all the planes that didn't work. Like, you show, like, oh, look at this guy. He made a plane with, like, 11 wings. Like Marv Albert mo- music. And then, like, it falls off a cliff. And you're like, oh, isn't that funny? Look at this one where it flaps like a bird. Because that's back when we were stupid, and we thought flight would be this particular kind of thing. And if we could flap our wings like a bird, you know, we could fly. So you could choose to fixate very heavily on things like that. You could. There's all kinds of ways you can find the, the failures in these things. And... But the more you focus on the failures of those, like, you miss, like, what it was that was silly about that in a way that we couldn't get at the time, which is we're being a little bit too on the nose in that case about how flight worked. But, like, you don't throw the baby out with the bath in that case. And that's why with, you know, VR, VR is such an easy target for people because, like, there's so many ways to look at, oh, look at this, oh, look, room full of people at Facebook conference wearing goggles,
1: like clearly, this is like this Orwellian scene, and I my, like, my like thing is people talking to a phone on a street corner.
0: Oh yeah, who's going to do that? Exactly.
1: Or what if they have no phone and they just have a thing in their ear? That's ridiculous.
0: Well, and the crack I made on Twitter at the time was like, oh look, a room full of people, you know, experiencing VR. What a bunch of losers, you know, said seven thousand people simultaneously on their single touch screen at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like you're doing the same thing. Like is that a bad thing for either of you? No. I mean. Look up your Freud. (laughs) Like you're trying to make this weird when it doesn't have to be. Uh, We do not have time for how much I want to talk about tonight. I have so many more things to talk to you about.
1: Future is weird. We didn't even talk about uh, biology, which is another big one. Like it's kind of a race between (laughs) like technologically speaking, like the sort of emerging of biology and that. But that's the other thing is that like oh, genetic engineering. Uh, you know, curing death. Uh, all, all sorts of things like that could conceivably come before we get to the holodeck or could be part of the holodeck because obviously if you want to interface with our squishy fat meat brained thing, there could be (laughs) a a biological angle on that and eventually computers run into computation limits if you keep trying to make it out of sand and biological uh, mechanisms are much more space efficient and like, there's, there's kind of a merging of that too, but that's another one where people... Luckily, people are good about... There's no close extrapolation of that except for maybe we're like we're five to ten years from curing some big disease but most of the time they say uh the biological future like that's that's another gimme of like oh that will change humanity forever vr and the holodeck will change humanity forever and any kind of sort of bioengineering will change humanity forever and they're both right but they're always so 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 wrong with the timelines Mm -hmm. (laughs) vr is easier to predict because we kind of know what's involved there the biology one we are still kind of reasonably small breakthroughs away from really (laughs) screwing ourselves up like if we did a reasonable job of reducing death rate from cancer and and delaying aging we would really mess ourselves up by just causing the population problem to become even more severe even more severe than it already is because if if you're gonna get the people living to 400 years we've got a serious problem (laughs) like we're not we're not really equipped for that Um, well and that
0: also i mean there's a million things that gets us into there's also the whole like well you know um It sort of becomes like a monkey's paw where you're like, well, um, oh, look at me. I'm old Gil in like 1910. And I wish that, you know, everybody could live longer. Okay. Old Gil. (laughs) But, uh, what happens when that becomes incredibly costly and it becomes like a financial and, and like a social status thing, depending on which giant beeping machine you have access to based on the plan that someone paid for?
1: Well, yeah, actually the more problematic one is if you can stay young, like not live for 400 years and be an old person. But, like, stay, like, you're 25 for 400 years. When you say that stay is, young, inc- like,
0: like, 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 let me clarify. Are you talking about, like, the, like, which crazy version of this? Are you talking about, like, retarding the effects of aging? Well, just, or you know,
1: f- figuring out the... You aging know, slower. How, yeah, how, how our cell repair and replacement works and how those mechanisms fall apart over time and either delaying that process or stopping it entirely uh, so we become kind of like those jellyfish that are immortal or whatever. There are... <laughs> st- <laughs> there are serious problems with that like you think that's a good idea but if you think about it for a short period of time you realize this is a terrible idea because everyone's going to want to do it who doesn't want to be you know 25 for their whole lives everyone's going to want to do that right um but if everyone does that even if just the first world people do it like whatever we've got a problem because who wants to also stop having kids Who's, who's signing up for, no, you can't have any children? Anyone want to volunteer for that? Does that sound like an awesome thing that we like? Unfortunately, our monkey brains are like, no, that does not sound good. I really want to have a kid for reasons I can't explain, but it really makes sense when you think about it, because if I didn't want to have right. a kid, I probably wouldn't be here. No, um, this is,
0: you've got to save that for another one. That, yeah. that's, that's
1: that's Anyway, Anyway, the biological one, putting aside, the biological side is, is right up there with the, the computing future. We didn't even get into AI, but the computing future and the biological <sighs> future are ones that people see as sweeping across the world they just mispredict the timelines i mean in the meantime anything that comes up that's even remotely like that like stem cells we're gonna live for 400 years Mm, wake me up well so we're,
0: we're severely time constrained here um let's capture all of these because i think we might have a whole season here let me toss this out um so let's go back to where this started which is um john thinks about the parameters of the world as a youngster and you are you know Following stuff that happens, you're following the Moore's law-ish things. Uh, when you look at a new technology or the promise of a new technology, when you're looking at whatever is coming down the pike, how do you evaluate how seriously? Hmm, when something is is coming down the pike, and maybe it's not even vaporware. I don't know what it is, but like, how do you how do you get a sense of how seriously to take? a new technology or culture for that matter how do you know when something important is happening like what hairs on the back of your neck go up that let you know that something important something important is happening here even if it's not obvious to everybody else
1: tech is the easiest one and the solution to that is to know stuff about how that tech is made like if you if you are someone who builds boats and someone spins out a tale of some some way the boats are going to change our lives you're well equipped to understand uh, what the parameters of boats are and how close we are to what thing they're thinking of. And, you know what I mean? So anything mm-hmm. if you're involved in computers and you write computer code or you know stuff about computer hardware, anytime someone spins some BS story about and computers will do this in the future, you would be like, no, I'm a person who for a living makes computers do things and let me, and I know enough to spot the BS and or, or to spot the, the ones that you think you are close to. It's, a, it's the same thing where people, you describe something that you know is imminent and people will think it's nonsensical. Like if you were to it would be fairly easy to extrapolate out to the, uh, you know, the, the, the iPhone in terms of, can you make a device that small that does those things with that battery life that connects to cell radios or like wireless networking, you know, like you could extrapolate out those things based on knowing the limits of tech years before any regular person would believe you, you know, it's maybe only five or 10 years, but if you said in five or 10 years, you're going to have something like this and you know, whether you're right or not, you can tell that's going to be technologically possible. So both you know the BS stories, and also you know probably before everybody else what's going to happen. Like you understand, uh, hard drives are big now, but flash storage is already here, and, and Moore's law well, I mean flash storage will keep getting, will, will keep changing according to these sizes. And you know, like it helps to know the tech. Culture wise, mm-hmm. it's much harder because mm-hmm. there's not something hard and fast about culture, and no one is like making culture, and culture is much more difficult to predict the only foundation i feel like there when i think about that is i think about what are humans like because technology changes fast humans change really slowly and humans are at this point fairly well understood uh by you know extensively studied long history pretty darn well understood (laughs) and no matter how much technology changes humans change so incredibly slowly again getting back to it's not quite clear what the evolutionary pressures are but the generations are so long Compared to the rest of the things, like going from that eleven-wing airplane that, that cracks and falls off the cliff <laughs> right. to seven forty-sevens, right? That's so fast compared to how much do humans change. That was um, one of my uh, one
0: of my little bullets that I hastily made this afternoon. Was that um, it, it? Seems funny how um, how we com- how we like how we try to speculate about the future based on fairly recent, potentially unproven technologies. But like, you know, sometimes there's stuff where like, yeah, like like uh like we understand subways, we understand TV, we understand like vacuum tubes. But like uh the 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 part that we seem to <laughs> now I sound like Rod Serling, but the part that we leave off is that like to really understand how the future works, like to get good at, at like not just figuring out or predicting the future cuz you know, who cares? Like but to learn to think about the future you have to learn what parts ultimately feel very immutable
1: about human beings, or feel very like especially unlikely to be affected by evolution, or, or, or very slow changing. Like that's the, they just change on such a slower scale compared to everything else. That... But like there's
0: there's there's principles.
1: There like there are probably some principles about how stuff
0: tends to go, patterns, if you like. That ten thousand years of human life, it's probably fairly consistent. There, there are certainly you know changes. There are edge cases. There are corner cases. But the, there's a way things tend to go for people. And like until you understand how things tend to go for people, don't worry about the technology because the technology, as life has shown us, like g- g- God damn it, go back to Carl Sagan. Go back to, um, go back to uh, you know um, watching the day the day the universe changed or uh, any of those kinds of shows. Like you'll learn that like technology can change wildly based on weird accidents and strange confluences and meetings you never expected to happen but even as those things evolve or mutate so quickly the thing that always ends up often ends up screwing us up is like we forget people (laughs) tend to be a certain way and Mm -hmm. like that 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 can be your north star is like that's the way people act
1: well, and again, specifically for cultural things, because how do you predict the cultural things? Like the 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 uh, the trap there is assuming that technology is going to change people, and a lot of the sort of golden age sci-fi and and speculative fiction and imagining, especially of the sort of utopia futures, was that the development of technology, which you can extrapolate from what we knew about technology, you know, at any point you can extrapolate that forward fairly well if you if you are versed in what, the art of whatever tech you are speculating about, mm-hmm. that that will change people. That. Because we can do this thing, therefore, the world will be different and people will be different because surely when we can achieve this, that will that will mean we are elevated and that will mean people will react differently. Um, it's, it's it's like not understanding that porn is going to be a big driver for the Internet. It's like not understanding what TV is going to turn into, like like that the, we, we have hedges against these things. And there are there are, you know, we try to form you know, that's what government is and everything like we try we try to form systems that counterbalance all the things that 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 are about humans that destabilize like that's our you know we're trying to make a system that, that works in this but the idea that once we have flying cars and video phones we will all be enlightened and kind and there will be no money and, and no need <laughs> and no greed or anything like that even if you just do something like free energy like the fusion thing of like oh well the energy problem is solved and that was the major problem so basically there's unlimited free energy for everybody um so there's really no reason for anyone to have to work uh except for like a minimal commitment to keeping it you know, because energy solves all problems and robots will make all our stuff and we'll all be served like it's not vr we'll still be in the physical world that everyone will be fine um all that tech you can extrapolate out and say like once we get all that we're all set but it's like if humans haven't changed by then you know that's a problem because like i mean just look at the way it is now we have the technology now to do much better than we do in terms of keeping people from starving to death and dying from dysentery but people you know like well no basic income is a problem because i don't want to give money to lazy people right <laughs> like yeah right, h- right how long is it going to take to get rid of that that is not going away when if we get free energy fusion you know like just uh, unlimited energy robots to do everything for <laughs> us st- you will not get rid of the thing that says well you know you're lazy i don't want to give you you know anything for free
0: well yeah and and the funniest part is like we are not aware. There's no bookmark for what our place in biology is. So like we find ourselves virtually yelling. And, like in retrospect, you go back, <laughs> you can watch video from the '60s and think this. Where like you'll see somebody in your essentially everything they yell is like, "How soon will society find no place for me?" And you, you hear their their anger and their frustration with like. I had a crack about this on Twitter not long ago. Sorry, Mike. But it was basically like, sometimes when horrible shitty violence happens in America, there's this part of me that feels like that's the worst... You talk about our best angels. That's our worst angels, like, clearing its gut of some kind of virus. Like, not always. But there's a part of me that thinks like, sometimes the most horrible violence in America happens as people become incredibly desperate about what they're losing. And it snuck up on them fast. And now evolution is being real tough, cultural evolution, fast moving cultural evolution, is being very tough on their way of life in a way that they weren't prepared for.
1: Yeah, I I tend to think of it from the perspective of the, I wish I could draw a picture of this, but I always picture it kind of like a a machine or, like, a mechanism with a bunch of, like, pistons all around it that fits into the weird shape of everything else. Like, we're trying to build society <laughs> into this weird shape so when something pushes in over here, something pokes out over there. It's kind of like one of those things where you just, you, you, you can never get it smooth because anytime you shove in on one thing, something else pokes out. And what we're trying to build is a machine so that all of human nature can push as hard as it can in all the weird directions that it pushes, and every time it pushes hard over here, something pokes out over there to counteract it, right? Like whack a right or, or no it's not quite like well anyway I'll, someday i'll draw it but um <laughs> when when you see something terrible happen what i see it as is the machine we have built we thought we were building a society a machine a government a way of life that accounts for all these pushes and pulls and makes a balanced system but what we didn't notice is that off in this corner or even in some big central part or some significant part we didn't realize that the push and pull was massively unbalanced in this area and what we were essentially doing was like Creating this 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 segment of society that was not being well served by the piston machine. In fact, mm-hmm. that every time they pushed or, or the, the pushes of other sections were were impinging on that area and screwing with them. And basically, you're making people who are who are not having good lives. They're they're well, not doing like well. No, no,
0: no matter how like dramatically this giant sector that's not seen by <laughs> the security camera of this machine, like no matter how dramatically
1: they're aggrieved. Like there's no place for the machine to help them, right? And and they you end up in a situation where they uh, like where, where people are, are, you know, people are complicated. So if if people grow up in a certain environment and are, you know get set in their ways and decide this is what is needed to succeed and this is what is right and this is what is wrong, it's very difficult to change that. And if you make these areas where that are not well served by by society, that will come out like you. Will, it will be revealed in, or if you shape the rest of the society being aggressively against it, it will be revealed in in these terrible outbursts, right? Like right. I mean, the whole, the whole civil rights movement. We, we built this massive machine to crush black people, right? And we're still trying to to disassemble and fix that machine, and it's, it's not going that well. um Huge outbursts, it, 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 you know, the civil rights movement in the '60s. Where is all that stuff coming from, like? In the same, like, I know you're doing the opposite of like Orlando shootings versus civil rights movements. Obviously, they're different, you know, like because the Orlando, like you were saying, it's like, oh, it's just, the, it's the worst of society that's no longer tolerated, sort of, you know, being puked out. But I, I see it as the, the same as the civil rights movement in that things are not going well for a certain segment of the population. They have, they're either getting bad ideas or they're being crushed by everything else. And that stuff is going to come out. And the only way to ever fix that is to fix, try to fix the environment that is surrounding it and it's a really long difficult process but right th- 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 like and it's, it's so easy if you're in the good part of the machine to be like everything's going but that's, awesome that's
0: part, part of the problem is like uh, this is gonna be hard but it's also like when you start t- start thinking about some parts of, of the machine as being good versus bad this leads us to a whole nother episode we can't have tonight. But like, you know, it's because evolution doesn't care if you're good or bad.
1: Well, not, not, not good or bad, but just like that, that people are, uh, because part of the machine is supposed to put ideas into people's heads that cause them to be more constructed for the overall thing, right? Um, right and yeah. and the, the whole idea of like, there's no longer a, pra- a place for people who are intolerant of other people for reasons X, Y, and Z and therefore those people feel threatened um, and have outbursts and whatever. Changing the machine is difficult. Freeing the slaves did not go over big with a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Uh, What is the solution to that? Building a differently shaped machine did not solve that problem. And in fact, even waiting for those people to die didn't solve that problem because they passed on that idea for generations and generations that they were aggrieved and that ending slavery was not really a great thing, right? And that's what i'm talk about, that, you know. People change slowly, and changes to the machine take a long time to take. How long is it going to take before the idea that that black people not necessarily that it should be slave, but like just the basics of racism? How many hundreds of years of generations of people is it going to take to get rid of that in this country? Like, yeah, but there's so it's even not, it's, even then. There's so many layers to
0: that where it's like it's <laughs> the problem is like when the more constrained and understandable and like straight that a culture is the easier it is to frame what somebody's beef is but like go track down somebody in your you know fairly in your community or family and talk to them talk to them about trans stuff it's hard to even pin down what they're mad about with that because it is so abstract it's one thing one thing to say like black men and white women should not be together that's like a super clear message of like the 50s but like uh what about black women and white men is that okay well that's it's not it's not like a uh, left and right hand thing with that and like you start to when you start like really breaking that stuff down it's like it's incredibly complicated and like people understand that stuff in a way that they can't and won't articulate because that's part of the the coding
1: yeah Uh, and that's the that's the frustration with all like speaking of the machine we built the machine to specifically enforce those things with you know the the, you know laws uh outlawing well you know we didn't outlaw gay marriage i think is the word you're looking for (laughs) yeah but they like we we didn't have laws against gay marriage because it was so preposterous that it's like it's like having a law against flying you know people can't fly we don't have to make that law like you know but it would
0: be like saying like can a jump jump rope marry a horse where you'd be like, I don't even, I don't understand right. the questions. That's, so, that's so
1: like so weird. C- complete failure of imagination. But like this, this is what we, in general we feel like we call progress. But progress is slow, um, and altering the machine to <laughs> give humans dignity previously denied to them mm-hmm. has historically been a very long, difficult, and tumultuous process involving lots of angry people. Um, all it's revealing is that the machine we built to be stable and to account for all of humanity and counteract all of their bad instincts and turn them into good things was incredibly poorly designed because it only accounted for (laughs) very few instincts of a very small segment of society Uh, and previous machines we had built in some ways were more pure in the in terms of it was like kill all your enemies and reproduce like crazy like the sort of you know caveman or whatever neanderthal days where it was more animalistic where there wasn't really land ownership or society or cities and that's a lot simpler system and you can build a pretty good machine to be like look anyone's a threat you kill them uh you know even all the way up to like just the mongol hordes and everything that is a fairly understandable system that nevertheless left people not particularly happy on on either side of it but at least you could set uh, you know if you narrow it to that view, if you have the unenlightened view, it was it was a system that was more thorough, more, more thorough in its in its design than our current one, which is trying to come out of that and say, well, people are much happier if you're if they're not part of a Mongol horde raiding party and aren't being the victim of it. <laughs> like those are those are two. You know, obviously, you want to be on one side of those better than the other, yeah. but they're really not great systems either. Yeah, um, don't, don't make me pick. Don't yeah. make me pick. <laughs> so I don't know. Like. I, I now i really want to draw this machine with the pistons but yeah, i wish uh, we'd do that i really uh pistons maybe is not the perfect I'm, I'm mostly envisioning it as a sphere too because it's really difficult to to uh it has to be all all encompassing
0: and you're saying that it's not like whack-a-mole
1: uh whack-a-mole's 2d and it's like thing pops up and you push it oh, down thing pops up and you push it down see. i'm thinking more of like you, know, you watch uh agents of shield right no no anyway they they have a special effect in that where they have this this weird matter that's like a portal to different worlds and it's like just this random cg shape that's sort of like it, it's not a sphere it's like always it's like water sloshing around but if you imagine water sloshing around where the where gravity was only at the center point right instead of water sloshing in a couple of gravity straight down imagine water sloshing in free space with, with like a tiny black hole at the center because like, so it would slosh back and forth and in and out and just anyway humans humans are not are actually not that probably that spherical we probably push really hard in certain directions and not at all in other directions and need a lot of counterbalance to not kill each other and eat each other i don't know about i don't know about the eating thing i wonder how much of that went on because humans are probably hard to catch and kill compared to other sources of meat uh which part uh cannibalism yeah eating other people it's probably easier to to catch and kill other things that are dumber
0: yeah, I think cannibalism is a it's a it's a status move.
1: I think mostly. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not familiar enough with the anthropology related to uh, cannibal tribes. You
0: know, it's never stopped sense. you before. It's true.
1: It's true. Yeah. But I actually uh, more like I haven't thought about cannibalism a lot. Really, <laughs> it's <laughs> just not top of mind for
0: me. No, that, that's one of those topics where you're like um, one of those no good can come of it topics. Where you're like you know if I do a deep dive on this, I don't know if I'll love where <laughs> yeah, it no, turns out. Don't. Like. If, if I finally understand this, I'm not sure that'll be better for me.
1: The only good thing that came out of it was that guy we've talked about this before. I think on like, who's on like 60 Minutes or something. Guy who came up with like death tax instead of estate tax or whatever. Like the the whole like uh, right. Republican spin Fighting, guy yeah. and was and was asked on the spot to come up with a uh, a workable slogan for uh, uh, tofu that was meant to taste like humans, like sort of simulated <laughs> simulated cannibalism. And pretty sure on the spot, I don't know, maybe it was pre-interviewed, but he came up with. Uh, The Taste of Good Friends. (laughs) Which I thought was pretty darn good. I'm going to go with Tofu Min. It it, it was Hufu, I think. Oh, Hufu. Taste of Good Friends.
0: Here's to good friends. Tonight is kind of (laughs) special. Yeah. (laughs) Let it be low and brow.